Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, August the 10th, 843-661-0937 as we grow ever closer to our 10-year anniversary. You may not celebrate it, but we're going to celebrate it <laughs> and force you to come along uh, for the ride. Uh, we actually, I mean, I called some scuttlebutt yesterday from our sales manager, our general manager, about some things they've got planned. Oh, what really? was that about? I mean, did you hear that? I, I, I think he, I think he um, unintentionally said something in front of you and I yeah. uh, about, you know, it was a little bit coy, but it ain't real coy. Uh, <laughs> when he said, you know, what do you guys have planned on Friday? Well, to do the best show we can. Yeah. I mean, that's what we try to do every do single we normally day. normally do. At, at days we succeed, at other days we fail miserably. But we intend to do the best radio show we can uh, this coming Friday. Uh, I will go on the record. I've got, um, I, we have um, Florence County Council Chair, and new economic development director um, scheduled to be here Friday morning at about 8 o'clock. I know we've got our legislators, um, but they kind of float around a bit, so we'll have a busy Friday morning. But he said yesterday, uh, what do you guys have planned Friday morning? And that kind of led me to believe he's never asked that before. Yep. I mean, it, you know, just make sure we do well and make sure we get advertisers and uh, make sure you guys are here doing the best um, the best you can. Uh, but but yesterday led me to believe that they may have something up their sleeve. I think so. We could get a key to the city. Hey. Or a plaque. <laughs> At least. You know, or, or a baseball cap or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what they've got going on. Uh, what would you want, Reb, to, com- to commemorate? I, I don't know that I want anything. I want a good weekend and be back on the gear Monday. There you go. The grind. Yeah. I just... mean, I think we celebrate the grind. Uh, we enjoy, at uh, times, the grind. Um, not at 4.30 in the morning when the alarm yeah. goes off, but... By 5.15 or so, I've got my wits about me. I've got my bearings about me, and here we are. Um, I mean, if a, few, if a few people here around the office, you know, say, hey, congratulations on 10 years, I mean, that's good good for me. Yeah, you well, know, if they want to give us a plaque, I'm big on plaques. Yeah, are you? Yeah, I moved my daughter into her uh, house in Charl- I mean, excuse me, in Columbia as she uh, heads back to school, and she was saying something about, I-, I need something to put on this shelf in this corner. And I was like, I had a bunch of punt passing kick trophies. <laughs> you, you want me to bring the the next time I make my way up here, you want me to bring some punt passing kick trophies? Why, why did I along? believe she didn't take you up on no, that? No, she offer. didn't. I mean, she's got some um some statue or, or vase. There you go. She's got a vase <laughs> on top of the eye. We call her vase, but she calls it a vase because <laughs> she's in college. Her dad didn't go to college long. She knows the um, summer and semester story. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember uh, when my sons were being moved into their place for college. I don't think there was a Voss anywhere near those places. Yeah, I, I didn't know what I mean. <laughs> or Voss. A okay. It's, I've told this story before, so I got a good old boy. A refrigerator and a cooler in a corner. Yeah, I got a good old boy. I mean, he's, he's as good as gold. I love him to death. He's worked in our family's business forever and ever and ever. And we used to cook on Wednesday night. Cook and play cards. I mean, that was kind of a tradition on Wednesday night. My dad would cook. Uh, fry fish, fix spaghetti. I mean, whatever. And we'd have a big bowl of, or a big pot of whatever it was, or a bunch of fish being fried. And we'd play, um, cards, not, not high stakes poker by any stretch of the imagination, but fun and games and fellowship and, and camaraderie in the business. So, um, there was a salesperson from up North free hell. You'll appreciate this. You know, you Northern aggressors don't think we're real smart anyway. So the, um, the salesperson from up North, uh, becomes kind of infatuated with what we're doing. So you guys work together, and then you come and hang out together on Wednesday nights eating fish and, and drinking a beer. Yeah, that's what we do. So um, he would schedule his trips uh, around our fish fries or our spaghetti cookings and whatnot. And it was almost um, – and he would end up staying at the clubhouse. He'd spend the night in the club. Kind of a friendship. 
and um and we bought a lot of stuff from him i mean he was a uh, i don't want to call the company but he was a he was a hydraulics business and um so anyway after about you know we do it every week he would show up about once a quarter and about the third or fourth time he shows up um my buddy my good old boy buddy has one of these indiana jones fedora hats on now he doesn't know it's an indiana jones fedora hat and um and, and the northern aggressor shows up at the uh at the uh the fish fry that night and he says to my buddy hey that's a nice fedora you've got and I'm standing beside my buddy, and I looked. I, mean, I didn't say a word, but I said, "He ain't got a damn clue what fedora means." <laughs> I mean, I can assure you that he has no clue whatsoever. And, and my buddy looked at the northern aggressor and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, like." And it, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so obvious to me. And no clue. It, it, no clue fedora. <laughs> so the next day we go to work, and I said to my friend, "I said, hey, what's a fedora?" Because the guy, you know, remember last night when Rich said that's a really nice fedora. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, I mean, I knew, but I was trying to kind of get him to say, I said, what's the fedora? He said, I, I don't know, man. I, didn't, I, I just said, thank you. You know, he, well, he said, but I went to the bathroom and looked on my chest to see if I'd catch up on my shirt or <laughs> didn't know, didn't have a clue what, what fedora was. Um, make sure you're flying, but up. be careful believing someone is dumb because they don't have an expansive vocabulary. You, you know that. Right. I mean, be yeah, real careful believing someone is dumb simply because they have a very limited um limited vocabulary 843-661-0937 is our number look real quick this morning braves win over mm-hmm. the red Sox, but the mets win as well the mets have a better record than the yankees right now um maybe a better team than the yankees right now the only team in baseball with a better record than the mets as you would expect is the dodgers and um it's seven games behind i, I just you know that's a lot of baseball games to make up when there's a pretty good team that you're trying to catch. So I think the Braves are beginning to kind of settle in on this wild card spot. Uh, what have they played? 100 games? A little better than 100 games, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe 120 games, so there's 40 or 50 games left. Making up seven games against a good baseball team in 40 or 50 games, highly unlikely, extremely unlikely. Um, so I guess the Braves and Phillies and a couple of other teams We'll have to settle for second place or competing for second place in the um, in the National League East. I said yesterday, and I'll say it again this morning, I felt different. I mean, I use the word fundamentally a lot. I mean, we all have these kind of safe spaces we go on some of these words. Yesterday, I got behind the mic, and I said, I feel fundamentally different about doing this job today than I historically have. I mean, there have been moments, big stories, um, big revelations in American politics, but yesterday was different. And... You know, I still feel different. Um, I'm not as shocked today because I've had 48 hours of which to let it kind of sink in and and digest it. Uh, 24 hours from yesterday morning, but but about yeah, not quite for 36 hours. Well, I figure from, from you the, feel much better since the DOJ came out and had a press conference and explained exactly what they did and why they did it and justified. Well, I mean, their we actions. knew they would. I mean, multiple press conferences. The White <laughs> oh, House yeah. has admitted they're behind it. Oh, I mean, yeah, the DOJ yeah. and the FBI have had these these pressers. Um, <laughs> I'm being facetious. Of yeah, course. Sure, sure you are, because there is no. Um, but but we've had a, ch- a chance. I mean, ready, aim, fire, ready, fire, aim. I mean, yesterday was a chance to ready, fire, aim. I'm kind of proud that we didn't. Uh, the one thing we did yesterday was discourage strongly violence. You know, I understand the frustration. I'm as frustrated as you are. But violence against your government is never uh, a good idea. Uh, maybe one day. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. Um, but right now. I think you've got to concentrate on what the problem is. 
Um, we've, we've got a guest who wrote a book, and um, Freehold's got him lined up to call it about uh, 7.30, if I'm not mistaken. Stephen Rabb wrote a book called The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis. Very appropriate today because many of us have considered, um, pondered what the founders would say if they were alive today. I mean, if the founders said, you know, back to the future or, or you know, back to the past or whatever, uh, if they had a DeLorean that could transport them um, through time and, and time was no issue, and all of a sudden you you drop Jefferson, Adams, Madison, uh, Franklin, uh, Washington on the front doorsteps of the Capitol, what would they say? What sort of conversations would be had? And I went back and read some of the founders' comments last night because I'm trying to make heads or tails of all of this. And the one thing the founders were very, very um, leery of and aware of and believed potentially could be an enormous danger and threat to American politics was an unrestrained majority. And I think in their, in their thought processing, Reb, it was you know a two-party or a three-party or a four-party system. And one party gained so much control over the political apparatus that it abused its privileges. And... Uh, this kind of this is the reason I want to talk to Stephen Rabb because he's talked a little bit about the dangers of unrestrained majorities and and the the founders always believed that the recognition of a minority had to be significant. I mean, it had to be an important part of how we govern ourselves. We're a deeply divided nation. We've got fifty senators with a D beside their name. We've got fifty senators with an R beside their name. We've got one political party um, with a slim margin in the House of Representatives, um, soon to be overtaken by another political party that will have not an equally slim margin, but it won't be, you know, an overwhelming majority. I mean, I saw some of the um, the most recent forecast have it at about 223, 180-ish, somewhere thereabout. Um, and then you got about 23 seats that are tossed up, 445 members, and I think they've got 223 locked in for the Republican. Um, I've seen some predictions and forecasts. That say the Republicans will pick up 10 seats. That gives them the majority. I've seen others that say they'll pick up 40 seats. Obviously, that gives them the majority. I've got it somewhere at around 20. Significant uh, that they'll have the majority. They'll appoint the committee chair. They can investigate whomever they choose to investigate. So if we're a deeply divided nation and that division is reflected on our elections, R&Ds, um, how did the bureaucracy how did the cathedral, how did the deep state, how, the, how did the, um, the, the controlling administrative state, the professional class, the careerist in Washington, how did they become so monolithic and how have they um, become so comfortable with these unrestrained majorities? In other words, we can do what we want to do because we're not answered, we're, we're not held accountable. I don't care how many districts are gerrymandered. Slim majorities. Well, do, but, but not in the deep state. Well, true. When you think about, but, I mean, think about academia. Which is interesting because, uh, you know, as far as the electorate goes, the Democrats have a very slim majority. Obviously, the Senate's tied. The House is pretty close. Because we're a deeply divided nation. Right. So, so if if yes, so if we're that divided, why is the bureaucratic class, the cathedral that we've talked a lot about, why are they not um, equally divided? Why do we have um, this, this un- restrained majority of people in the DOJ, in the FBI, that seem to be, I don't know, I mean, there, there may be some internal dissent. I've got a, I got a friend that I talked to a little bit yesterday that told me the reason um, they're slow to pull the trigger on what the release is going to be is there's a lot of internal dissent. 
There are people at DOJ who said, have we lost our minds? I mean, are we really going to do this? There are people at the FBI that said, I don't want any part of this. I mean, if we're really going to take uh, the American President's Re- or the, the President's Record Act of 1978, and it comes as a result of Watergate. I mean, it's about Nixon not turning over some documents or not allowing certain documents to be reviewed and surveyed. But, but I'm hearing now, and there's a couple of reports out there, um, that there's some internal dissent at DOJ, really? internal dissent at the FBI. Not a lot. But once again, uh, if we are a de- deeply divided nation, and we are, I mean, I, I've read comments after comments that there, there are, there's a celebration on the American political left there's a celebration with the Never Trump movement. There is nobody happier today than Dick and Liz Cheney. So it's not all about the Democrats, right? I mean, the Republicans take great joy. Some do, not a lot, but some take great joy in um in watching Trump struggle, you know, in in PR or you know having his home um, raided in the early morning hours of uh, uh day before yesterday. But but I, I want to talk to Stephen a little bit about why the founders felt it so important to be so leery of these unrestrained majorities. Once again, um, I think the, the the Reconciliation Act is bad. I mean, I think to, to allow a government to spend, you know, over three-quarters of a trillion dollars and hire 87,000 IRS agents because one party has a vice president can come over the Senate and tie and break that tie. I mean, that's not good for the country. But it's it's not as dangerous to me as because we can undo that. I mean, if the Republicans get the majority, they can undo that. I mean, we change that law. We'd abolish. I mean, they get Republicans if they had the guts to do it, they could win the majority in December or November, take office in January, and abolish the IRS, completely reform the IRS. Now they got to have they got to win the Senate. You got to do run of you know presidential vetoes and all these other sorts of things. But but the unrestrained majority within the, the cathedral is what I find very alarming, very concerning. Um, one party will control Washington from a an elected perspective. Another will, I mean, that's always been the ebb and flow. The nation moves a little bit this way, realizes they don't like that very much, so they move back uh, the other way. Independents vote, you know, historically for one candidate or another. They don't um, kind of, you know, bed down with one political party or the other. But, but I want to walk through this morning. Uh, we do know a little bit more. Uh, we do have a little more suspicion about things. Um, there, there are people out there who believe this is a fishing expedition. This is not about the Presidential uh, Records Act. And I've got some opinions um, that lead me to believe the January 6th commission couldn't come up with goods to charge Trump with a crime. So let's say that we're going to invade. <laughs> um, mm. We're going to raid. There, there's the word. We're going to raid uh, Mar-a-Lago based on the Presidential Records Act, and I think legally they probably have uh, the ground to stand. I think the optics are horrible. I think the cathedral wins because what is the, excuse me, I think the um, the dark enlighteners win. What what did I say last week about the dark enlighteners? What is their measure of success? The suspicion you have of government, the distrust you have of government, um, they just help that cause a lot. Uh, I told you, I expected to get 20 or 25 texts, and I did. I mean, the, the, the second the news broke, that Trump's residence was being raided, I knew within five minutes I'd have 25 texts from like-minded um, MAGA Republicans, America First Republicans. It was the other 10 or 12 that I found so interesting. Hmm. And they were anecdotal. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but these are the 10 or 12 friends of mine 
who could take Trump or leave him. They kind of like the policies. They don't care for the man. Um, they'd much rather see DeSantis run than Trump. But it was so interesting, the the the, the alarm bells were going off in their head. Here's, here's what I believe, Rev. I've already convinced myself, and you're not going to convince me otherwise, they're out to get him. I mean, they're out to get him. I mean, I, I'll break it down. You know, fedora, simple. Uh, they're out to get him. I mean, I'm going back to Pamplico for a second. We can complicate this as much as you'd like. We can quote the National Review. I mean, we talk about MSNBC. They're out to get him. The, the unrestrained majority is out to get a guy that wants to um, disrupt their world. Somebody sent me a cartoon yesterday, and I'll, I'll read it to you here in a second. But, um, but because of that, we're seeing an enormous decline in trust. The 20 or 25 text I knew I'd get, they're already on my team. I mean, they, they don't trust the government. They're ready to, to do whatever it takes to make sure we further disrupt their world. The 10 or 12 are more cautious. They're more careful, but they're, they're kind of coming along. Slowly but surely, they're beginning to say, um, I don't think one told me yesterday, they're going to turn me into you. <laughs> I mean, they, they're going to turn me into you. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, that's very good. Yeah. He said, man, I, I, when, when you say these things, it freaks me out. When you start talking about the cathedral and the and the dark enlighteners and the you know the teals of those these, these um smart scary people that <laughs> yeah. Rev talked about yesterday, you freak me out when yeah. you say your that conspiracies are coming through. But True. that's what that, that's what they're kind of saying yesterday. They're going the, these things that you said years ago that I thought were just radio fodder and you you know kind of placating or, or pandering to your audience. You're right about eighty percent of the time. And I think when you see the optic of a former president having his house raided by DOJ and the FBI, and a full day later, there still is no press release. There is no press conference. And I think the American people should demand of the DOJ and FBI, tell us why you did it. Let us see the warrant. Let, let us see the affidavit. Let, let us see the, uh, the, the judge's rule. I mean, we found out yesterday the judge um, gave money to Obama twice. I think he gave two thousand, gave a thousand dollars twice, a total of two thousand dollars to the Obama uh, two thousand eight and two thousand twelve um, campaigns. He also was a lawyer for the Epstein's and some of that Jeffrey Epstein case. Of course he was. I mean, this is where we are, uh, and you can't make it up. I mean, you just can't make this up. Hey, let's. Uh, I mean, imagine going to Hollywood. Let's do this. I, I don't want to get too far behind. Uh, we got a couple of callers. We'll get to the callers in two seconds. Well, I'm lying. It'll be longer too. It'll probably be about five minutes. But we got to pay some bills. It's already uh, five minutes behind when we should take our break. So let's do that. Hang in there, callers. Don't hang up. Want to hear from you? 843-661-0937 is our number. Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Breeze. Good morning. You're on the air. You know, Trump wasn't a threat to all of them. And I mean all of them being the Republicans. They wouldn't be doing Republicans and Democrats. They wouldn't be doing this. And it looks like, according to news, that they're going to try to prep, put charges on for the F-78 Act and do it in Washington, D.C. And that's where a lot of the – if you want to know where the bad justice – that's the D.C. They said the D.C. FBI agents – all FBI agents are not traitors. Now, the guys in Washington, D.C. are. And so that's probably where you get that DOJ thing, you know, but – uh. But they will probably try to indict him in Washington, D.C., but I don't believe they could stop him from running for president. But I tell you, I was funny you were mentioning this morning when I was pulling up, you said you're trying to talk people out of violence. And I was sitting with a friend of mine that just retired from the marshals. We were at the gym yesterday looking out the window, 
we see this guy with a T-shirt, typical, you know, had the flag on there, you know, fight to your very last breath for your freedoms and all that. And I looked over him and said, who in the hell is he going to fight? So we are going to have that revolution. They need to get, they need to set a date, like for two years of this date, because right now, so everybody can get in shape and fight. Because right now, we ain't got no damn body in this country. They, they couldn't get hit with a Q-tip to stand up. So who the hell is going to fight? And I see all these people, and I've said this before, I see all these people on Facebook talking about fighting, fighting, fighting. Well, who the hell are they going to fight? They can't fight. They can't, they've never even been in a fight. Have any of them had any kind of training, you know, military-type tactics? Because if we do get into a fight, the people, if we won't be fighting the guys you think you're going to be fighting. You're going to be fighting the daggled, the United States Army, Marine, Navy, Air Force, National Guard, the police forces. Now, some of them may not. But who the hell are you really going to fight? Where are you going to take your AR-15 to Washington, and who the hell are you going to fight up there? And if, you, and if Mount Pleasant had a, had a fight between the, the, the good guys and the bad guys, that would be the biggest. That that would that would be the biggest powder puff laugh you ever saw in your life. There ain't three people about pleasant tough enough to pick their nose about crying. Thank you, Breeze. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm just. I mean, think about this because I mean, I saw some tweets and some Facebook posts about you know uh, it's it's time to fight. It's time to rise up. I mean, I'll agree. It's time to rise up without question. I agree. It's time to to break the political norms. I mean, when you look at Trump. Trump is a representation of obliterating political norms. I mean, in a world, when you look at the unrestricted majority, and I'm talking about the cathedral, I mean, that's what I call it. You, you choose to call it whatever you want to. Deep state, administrative state, professional class. Uh, I, I refer to them as the cathedral. And they are a, a unrestricted majority. They don't answer to anybody. They're not held accountable to anybody. Um, that's the political norm. I do believe that there's some exit ramp between political norm and and fighting and violence that, that we're going to be forced to take. I don't have any idea what that is. I think Larry brought up kind of an interesting point when someone is charged with treason and they go the, you know, to prison for the rest of their life or we have some firing squad or hanging, public hanging. I mean, some folks want that. But I think we've got to have some clarity about what to do. We know how we feel. We're unbelievably frustrated. We're unbelievably um, distrusting of the American government. I get it. I mean, I'm in the boat with you, and I think you have every reason to be frustrated. I think you have every reason to not trust your government. They've proven to be untrustworthy. They've proven to abuse this unrestrained majority and this monolith in how, you know, we transact the the government's business. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. Jim Comey spent 14 minutes telling us how Hillary Clinton broke the law. And in the 15th minute, he said, but not a prosecutor in America would take the case. The absurdity of that. And now we believe, I mean, we don't know any of this to be true. And I want to be careful here. We don't have any idea. There's some speculation now um, from some media reporting that Trump violated the Presidential Records Act. As a result of him violating that Presidential Records Act, um, they raided his home. I don't buy that. I mean, I just think Merrick Garland is inside the bubble. There's no doubt about it. And he's got an axe to grind. Sure he does. He's got an axe to grind, but he can't be that stupid. If he's that stupid, we are done. I mean, I think we're in a bad, bad place anyway. But if Merrick Garland believes that he can justify to the American people 
as AG that that they invaded, excuse me, they raided the president's home in search for documents that he didn't turn over in a year-long negotiation, then then you know, we may end up in a much worse place than I imagined. But 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 I believe that they use this as an excuse. And I think the excuse is to try and do as as Andy McCarthy said yesterday, a fishing expedition. And if you think about, you know, a um a search warrant that gives them permission via the violation of the Presidential Records Act, and someone signs an affidavit, and, you know, they have a search warrant, they go and execute the search warrant uh, because he violated the Presidential Records Act, but they're allowed to go find anything they can find. And it's really an, it's kind of an indicting of the January 6th committee. I mean, I, we, we believe, I mean, we don't know this to be true, but we believe that the Justice Department has opened a grand jury into the events of January 6th, uh, but I'm telling you guys, convincing 12 jurors in Washington, D.C. is a hell of a lot different than convincing 50% of America who have Trump's back. And I just think they've terribly overplayed their hand. But, Reb, when you drink coffee with people who believe exactly what you believe, and you don't, you, you never go to Pamplico on a Wednesday night and play cards and, and eat fish with people out in the real world, you fail to properly understand what's kicking out there. I mean, isn't that kind of what we argued, the reason Trump got voted? The, the, uh, the, the disconnect between those in Washington and those in what we refer to as, as flower country? And I think they've made a grave error. And I think today, I mean, I think as we speak this morning, as the sun comes up on, uh, on August 10th, 2022, Donald Trump has never been a more formidable political force than he is today. Who can turn Donald Trump into a sympathetic figure? I mean, he's going to become a martyr if we aren't careful. Go back to the 10 texts I get yesterday. None of these folks like Trump. These folks wish Trump would go away. They think he did a pretty good job as president, but they want to get back to some political normalcy. Every one of those people today feel a little bit different about Donald Trump. They feel the government is what, what, what this crazy guy on the radio says they are. They're out of control. That they, they are unrestrained. They abuse the power of powers and privileges, not that have been given to them by the voters, but, but they've been appointed to these positions. They become careers within, and they've not been answered. They've not been held accountable to anybody, and here's the problem. The political norm suggests that Mitt Romney does it a certain way. Romney wrote a scathing letter. Who cares if Romney wrote a scathing letter? I mean, that's the political norm, right? I mean, when somebody does something uh, in the deep state of the cathedral and, and Romney writes a scathing letter, it's almost like the National Review says, take that. Take that scathing letter from Mitt Romney. Bet you won't do it again. Your ass he won't. Of course he will. If he believes the only consequence to his abuse of power is a scathing letter from Mitt Romney, that will be forever in the National Archives. Who cares? Give me my pension. Give me my life health care, and I'll mosey on down the road. And that's been the political norm. And Donald Trump says, and the Trump world says, out with the political norm, in with political disruption, and some people have a lot to lose if that world is fundamentally, there I go with the word again, disrupted. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hey, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. These people hated the Cheneys until they were against Trump. I mean, this is ridiculous. I, I think a lot of this, I mean, when, you, when you're when you talking about the letter that Obama left Trump 
that's got to be in the National Archives. Come on, man. The biggest thing, I think, is they're trying to also take away from people looking into this bill they're getting ready to pass. You know, a good analogy is you make truck bodies, right, or your family did? We did. We did. All right, so you make a 1,000 of them a year, and the government comes in, and you sell those truck bodies for, say, just $10,000. The government comes in and says, okay, out of these 1,000, I want 400 of them. And of those 400, I'm going to pay you $3,000 instead of $10,000. And we're going to negotiate this price. But if you don't negotiate this price, I'm going to put an excise tax on all 1,000 of your truck bodies at 95%. That's what's in that bill. And these tax credits for these energy cars and solar panels, everything has to be made in the United States in order to get the tax credit. That means batteries, cars, everything. That's impossible. We don't have the technology. Cobalt is processed. We take our cobalt and send it to China to be processed because of these environmental idiots. So this is... Part distraction to keep people from looking into this bill, and and it gets worse the more I read. But I hope we get some people in. The revolution and the war is going to be at the ballot box. It cannot be in the street. We've got to get back to the rule of law, limited government, and if people don't want to do that, I'm not going to vote for them. You know, that's... As simple as it can get. We've got to get back to the rule of law because these people are taking the blindfold off of lazy liberty, and we're suffering because of it. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Here's my question of our listeners. I mean, if a candidate says, elect me and I'll go to Washington and seek revenge and retribution, are you more likely or less likely to vote for that candidate? Joe's talking about the rule of law, the blind, the blindfolded lady of justice, you know, the bills, the, the political norms. Let's get back to, to where scathing letters really meant something. Uh, or do you want somebody who seeks revenge and retribution? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, a conundrum that a lot of Republicans find themselves in. You believe in the constitutional form of government. You believe in the representative republic. But people have abused this, guys. We don't live in a representative republic today. We live in a world that politically is dominated by unaccountable bureaucrats and administrative and the administrative state. I mean, that, that's the people you deal with. Um, try to open a business. How many times do you talk to your congressman or your senator or your county council member? How many times do you talk to some representative of a government agency? And they're unrestrained. And the reason they've been allowed, they've been allowed to be unrestrained is they've lived in a monolith. There is no dissent. Once again, I read yesterday in one media account, Wall Street Journal had an article that said the reason they're they're dragging their feet in releasing a statement with DOJ and the FBI, there's some dissent internally. Somebody at DOJ has to be an honorable person. I mean, I don't think everybody at DOJ is out to get Donald Trump. I don't think everybody at the FBI is out to get Donald Trump. I think a high percentage are. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Now, is that 70% or 90%? Probably closer to 90 than 70. But that means, let, let's, for, for argument's sake, Liv, let's say eight of every 10 FBI agents would rather Trump be banished from the political scene forever, right? I mean, that just, that makes their world a lot easier, man. Here's this guy 
that this this kind of a um I mean I think Joe he's a political revolutionary. I don't know that Trump knows this or not. And once again, I've said it yesterday and I'll stand by it. If they raided Mar-a-Lago because Trump violated the Presidential Records Act of 1978, Trump has a chance to be the most important and consequential American political figure since Abraham Lincoln. I mean, I said that wow. yesterday, and I'll stand by that. That That is a very, very provocative thing to say, but I believe it. I mean, if, if, if Donald Trump has gotten himself to a place of standing where the, the, the deep state of the cathedral believe that he's that, it's that important to get rid of him by any means necessary. we got a grand jury of 12 jurors. And, I mean, I wonder, could you find someone sympathetic to Donald Trump in Washington, D.C.? Of course not. I mean, you got 12 jurors in Washington, D.C. sitting on a grand jury. Wonder what their renderings will be. Wonder what their decisions will be based upon. And that's what's happened, guys. That's this misalignment I talked about yesterday. The, the priorities of Washington are so misaligned with the priorities of the American people that to get that realigned, it's going to be controversial. It's going to be complicated. It's going to be revolutionary. I'm just discouraging people from taking to the street because, as Bree said, what what do you do? I mean, who do you punch in the mouth? Whose car do you set on fire? You know, what building do you kick the windows out of? I think those are just ridiculous arguments to make. I think you've got to win in the ballot box, and I think the one thing you've got to do, guys, is find Republicans who say what you believe and will do when they get there what they say they're going to do. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone held on during the break. Let's go there. Jamie, good morning. You're on. Good morning, fellas. Uh, excuse me. I'm not feeling very well. I think the heat got to me yesterday. Um, Ken, I told you I didn't text you because I knew I didn't have anything to add. I was so mad. I didn't have anything to add that you weren't hearing already. Um, but today, I, I got to tell you, Ken, uh, I'm tired of being mad. And um, the way I feel today is I'm at ease. I, I am at ease. I think things are, are going to take their course. And um, I can't be any, any more mad anymore. Um, I think it's I'm at ease. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and that's really about all I have to say. Thank you, Jam. Appreciate that. So where do we go from here? I mean, if more people than ever are convinced, and I'm not talking about Trumpsters. I mean, forget Trumpsters for a second. The polling is clear because the, the media has tried to portray the election was stolen as some fringe argument. About half the country believe um, I, the word stolen freaks them out a little bit. They don't like to say, uh, you know, when you say, do you believe there were significant discrepancies in the 2020 presidential election? 58% of Americans say yes. About 43% of Americans say, of course. I mean, without question, go, go back to my kids. Remember the conversation I recounted to you, our listeners, with my two sons about we, we attended a funeral down in Pamplico, and, you know, they opened the door. I didn't, I didn't inquire. I didn't kind of lead uh, them that, that way. But, you know, my two sons said, uh, my youngest son in particular said, of course something happened. When Donald Trump put his hand, this is my youngest kid, or excuse me, my youngest son, not youngest kid, my youngest son said, and I thought it was so eloquently said, um, he said, Dad, when Trump put his hand on that Bible in 2017, 
after winning the 2016 presidential election, everybody with an earshot said he'll never do that again. He'll never do that again. And he's talking about Washington proper, talking about the insiders, talking about the cathedral, talking about deep state, administrative, um, you know, rogue out of control. I mean, we, we got a lot of the scripts here. So when the media tries to argue that, that the, the whole concept of Trumpism is the election was stolen, the big lie, um, what, what's our good buddy Williams calls mm-hmm. in and says, well, you know, what is my opinion of the big, big lie? My opinion's about the same as 58% of Americans. It's not a fringe opinion to believe something doesn't make sense about the 2020 election. Let me say this out loud. Joe Biden can't get out of his own way, but he got 81 million votes. Okay. A lot of people voted against Trump. I get that. I mean, a lot of people voted against Trump. That many? Now, stealing it and stealing it back is not, it's a little bit like the intent. You know, Trump, um, the reason that some legal scholars don't believe Trump will ever be charged with a crime is because Trump believes the election was stolen. In other words, his reactions, his um, his coaching up his crowd to do X, Y, or Z was because he sincerely believed that the election was stolen. Well, I mean, O.J. Simpson believed those people stole his sports memorabilia. It didn't give him a right to, you know, to, to knock the door down to their hotel room. I mean, this is after he killed two people um, and walked scot-free. But anyway, that's the story for another day. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but you see where I'm headed? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the intent component of this is going to be hard to prove. Some scholars say because Trump um, didn't believe he was breaking the law because he believed sincerely he won the election. That's not some fringe argument. When the media, when CNN and ABC and CBS and even the National Review, I mean, even some of these conservative publications, when they say that, um, you know, the Trump army, that this conspiracy theory of the election was stolen and he sold this bill of goods called the big lie to a universe of people, it's a big universe. I mean, it's a lot of mainstream Republicans. Once again, if you say stolen, they're a little bit hesitant. If you say um, uh, uh, a less provocative word, you know, in the 2020 election, were there a number of things that just don't make any sense. Well, I mean, I think 75% of Americans believe that. Yeah, I mean, was the election stolen? <laughs> I mean, what, what does stolen mean? Um, you know, they won it, they got it certified, and Biden's the president. Do I believe um, the numbers don't make? Of course I do. I mean, it's, you know, we spent a good bit of time trying to go back through that. But but the point is, Rev, that when the, when the, the unrestrained majorities who want to get rid of Donald Trump forever, banish him from the face of the planet Earth, and they're trying to teach you a lesson. Don't you ever do this again. If you ever have, as a Republican voter, if you ever have an opportunity to vote for a disruptor or somebody more, you know, conventional, you better vote for the conventional candidate or we're going to do the same thing to this next person that we did to Trump. And think about this, Rev. Who signs up for that? I mean, who in their right mind would run as a Republican and disruptor not named Donald Trump. I mean, who wants what Trump has had bestowed upon him? I'm sure that's their intent. Sure it Deliver is. Deliver the message I mean, loud the, and the, clear. You better believe it. I mean, it's not just Trump if you're an associate of Trump. How many raids? I mean, Roger Stone is, what, 75 or 6 or 7 years old? I mean, the FBI drew guns in the middle of the night while he's in his boxer sleeping in his bed with his wife who's about the same age. I mean, that, that's kind of, that's to teach you a lesson. That's to teach you, don't you vote for the disruptive candidates. And, and what's happening is I think they've overplayed their hand. I think they have 
tremendously and terribly overplayed their hand. The, the happiest people in America today are the quietest. You know who it is? The dark enlighteners. I mean, these are the ones that said, we measure success and failure, and I'm talking about the people that have identified this monolith as the cathedral. It moves as one. It has unrestrained majorities, unrestrained power. Um, it's not held accountable to the public, by the public, uh, with, with the you know, casting of a ballot. So, so when, when the dark enlighteners say that the less trust people have in its government, the more likely we are to see major revolutionary change, well, let me check the data today. I mean, how many people don't trust the FBI? How many people don't trust the DOJ? Forget Republican, Democrat. How many Americans today in their right mind, I'm not talking about, um, you know, make America great again to the extreme or, or the Trump derangement syndrome to the extreme. Let's talk about the the 60% of us who are willing to listen to whatever debate there is. I mean, do you want to have a debate? Let's have a debate. Uh, there, there's 20 that are not going to listen to anything on one side. There's 20% that are not going to listen to anything on the other side. But the 60%, they're not in the middle. I mean, the middle's not that big. You're a declared Republican. You're a declared Democrat. But you're not a Biden enthusiast. You're not a, you know, you're not a deranged Trumpster. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you take the president for what he is. You, you take the former president for what he is. And you're reasonable and practical about how you um, form opinions and, and digest information. The, those 60% have very little faith in their government. Very little trust in their government. That's not Trump's fault. I mean, Trump revealed it. Trump exposed it in a way that nobody ever has. And that's the problem with Trump. He's a political disruptor. And the last thing this world needs, by that, this world, I mean, you know, the cathedral, the last thing they need is somebody to expose who they've become. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Hey, Larry. Hey, I actually, I was, I'm trying to articulate, and I think Jimmy was trying to do it too, this idea that, you know, no matter what happens, they, they've gone so far that no matter what they do, they can't win at it because if there's a nothing burger and there's some, you know, discord uh, inside the Department of Justice and they're thinking, uh-oh, we can't, you know, you can't charge them with anything. If they just, if nothing happens, we're going to be like, see, we're winning. And then if they come up with some you know, bogus charge, you know, oh, he forgot to file a, you know, a 1047A form when he took this banker's box out of the White House, then it's just going to enrage us, you know, even more and energize more people. So I'm kind of with Jimmy in the fact that I'm like, go ahead, do, do your worst. Let's see what you really want to do. Please continue to show America who you are, because I think they're going to believe you this time. And so I'm kind of like, I'm just waiting, you know, whatever it is. I mean, if I got to jump on the back of a truck with a, you know, a 22 rifle because that's all I can find, or if I'm going to, you know, wait in line for six hours at a ballot box, whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Let's just see what it's going to take. But I feel like whatever is getting ready to happen is only going to move more in the direction that people like you and I want to see it go. So I'm almost like, let them be, man. Take you, don't, don't stop them. Let, you know, you ever seen two two drunks out in the street fighting, and somebody tries to break it up? And you go, no, 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 no. I want to see how this is going to end. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of feel like that's where we're at a little bit. You know. Yeah. What do y'all think? Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. I mean, I, I I share this. I mean, Jam and Larry are touching on something. I mean, I know where I want to end up. 
I mean, if I were king of the world, I'm not, but if I were, I know exactly where I want to end up. I don't know how to get there. I'm not sure I can get there. Uh, some of this, probably, Larry's probably right. Some of this I have to kind of step back and let it kind of work itself out. Let the two drunks in the street fight. Why am I going to break up two drunks? I mean, let you know, they won't fight but a minute or two. And then they'll kind of lay down and take a nap, probably, you know. So, so why do I want to? Why do I want to insert myself in the middle of that mess? So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I have with great clarity, Rev. I know exactly where I want us to end up, but I, I can see that as clear as I can see, you know, um, the, the Gamecocks beating the Tigers. Uh, this uh, okay, I can't see that real clear. Um, but 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 I, I, I don't know how to get there. I mean, I don't know how to get there. Um, what chess piece do I move now? Uh, what phone call do I make next? Um, who do I send a hundred dollar contribution to? Uh, what 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 political meeting or rally do I attend? You, you see where I'm headed? I mean, it, 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 the finish line is clear to me, and and I think the the and I think Larry would agree with this. Um, I think some of the the cathedralists, I mean, excuse me, the um the dark enlighteners are right about you know the the declining trust in government is a fair. I mean, that's a good metric. You know, when when they wake up every morning, I mean, they probably look at the, what crypto's worth. And after they look and see what, what Bitcoin and Ethereum are worth, they want to see what, you know, what the, the public trust in. I mean, it's not the right track, wrong track. That's a different way. How do people feel about the country? That's right track, wrong track. Historically, that's been a good measure in American politics. But this is a little bit deeper uh, than that, a little more intellectual than that. Um, what percentage of Americans trust their government to do the right thing? And as that number declines, I think Trump's relevancy, and I think this movement's relevancy, because at the middle of this movement, I mean, isn't, isn't it about distrust in government, skepticism of government? I mean, we don't deny we have a government. We don't deny that they have the authority to pass laws that we have to uh, kind of obligate. We don't like it. That's why we vote for different candidates. When, when one political party passes certain laws and we don't like those laws, we, we try to replace them with another political party. I mean, I think we understand. I mean, that's a fairly practical reality. But, but I think when, when, when people say, I don't trust either party. I mean, I don't, I don't trust Mitt Romney to do what I want done. I didn't say the right thing because I'm not one to say that I know what the right thing is. That's pretty arrogant. I mean, if I stood behind this microphone for four hours and said, do this because I know this is the right thing, I mean, I think I lose credibility. Nobody knows what the right thing is every time. I think I know what the right thing is here, and I think the right thing here is to reform, rehabilitate, um, rejuvenate, uh, redeem the IRS, the DOJ, the FBI. Once again, I think diversity is the key. Um, how do you hold these people accountable? See, I'm one that believes this, and there'd be collateral damage, and innocent people would get hurt. But if I if, if I elected the president, and the president said, hey, Ken, send me an email of the three or four things you think we need to do, fire half all government employees within the first 30 days you're there. Does some get fired that don't deserve to get fired? Of course they do. But I think in totality, that's what needs to happen. We've got to replace these careerists, that these careerists that don't believe they have to answer to anybody outside of the bubble of Washington. They have to be rid of. And Trump could do something like that. I mean, he could inspire a party. Uh, who wants to cross with Trump? See, I watched Lindsay yesterday. Lindsay's kind of different yesterday. I mean, Lindsay, and I think what Lindsay's doing is, I mean, in his private moments, I think Senator Graham says, you know, Trump has got this figured out better than I ever have. And, and I think this, this declining trust in the American government puts wind in Donald Trump's sail and allows him to say things that most people would cringe in normal political time. Let's go to the phone. Barry and Sherrall. Morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, um, 
Ken, did you happen to catch uh, Tim Scott on CBS yesterday? I did not. Somebody uh, sent me in a, a clip, and I hadn't. Re- I mean, I hadn't watched it. Yeah, not good. So uh, I did see where Fox had him listed as an establishment political. I yep. mean, establishment Republican politician. Yep, absolutely. So you know who orders he's following? He's following old Nikki, your uh, former boss. So uh, well, she made him a senator. Yep. Yeah, loyalty, I guess. You know, uh, whatever. But uh, Ken, I, I'm I'm with Larry on this. Uh, they're exposing themselves after yesterday, after listening to everything uh, throughout the morning. But and, Barry, but, are there any consequences? And this is what you got to think okay. about. Okay, they've exposed themselves. You know it. I know it. People that are politically inclined know it. Is there any consequence to them exposing themselves? I mean, Larry's kind of saying, let some of this play itself out, and and eventually consequences will come. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe not. But but if you're if if, if we are sh- more sure today that they are who we thought they were, who holds them accountable, and how are they held accountable? I. I- because you don't vote for the you don't vote for the attorney general you don't vote for the FBI director right. I don't you know I've been in I'm, 25 years right? cor- correct so it, it's very rare that you see anybody fired okay so there there's a there's a plan in place that I've listened to if Trump takes office that there's already been you know a plan being put together the last year that if he comes in Peter Thiel the whole crew comes in and just goes through and just starts firing. Like you fire Mike Smith today, right? You add 10. When, when Mike Smith's name come out, a big name, you add 10 more. So you just keep firing. You just keep firing and keep firing. I don't know, Ken. I, I've been doing this a long time. I, I, I don't know if it'll happen, but, I, you know, I just got to have – I just got to keep praying that it does. Um, I just don't understand how Joe Biden can get 81 million votes he should have a base that's going to back him regardless, just like we backed Trump, right? He Correct. doesn't have a base for 81 million. He's he's in the 30s and going to the 20s. He's probably in the 20s right now. So, you know, it's exposing everything. I, I never thought the government was like this again. The last, the last six years has been unreal for me. I worked all my time and never thought it was like this. So, hey, I, I'm with Larry, man. It, it, I feel like it's going to work its way out. There's, there's people talking to people that usually don't talk to people on the new right, and I'm excited about it because, you know, everybody has everybody has their own way of to do things, right? Me and you have our own you, – you have your way, I have my way, right? But it, it seems like they're starting to talk. Everybody's getting on the same page to move the agenda. Like you said, we're in the early stages of America first, and now it seems like with the attacks and – the the prosecution everybody's getting together now so I, I think that's real good for the american first i really do i think it's bringing people in that would not be a part of this because they're seeing what's happening so i'm excited i, I was down yesterday i'm excited today thank you barry appreciate that eight four three six six one oh nine three seven is our number i mean the, the, the most obvious answer and easiest way to get to a better place is the decent people in DOJ expose it. The decent everybody in the FBI is not corrupt. I mean, everybody's not in on this. I mean, there there's some people that go home at night, just like we go home from work, Reb. They sit down with their wife or their husband and they say, I- I'm not comfortable with this. They want to do the right thing. I- I'm not comfortable with this. I mean, th- this Trump thing has really got us in a place that I never imagined we'd be. You know, I don't care for the guy, but the public voted for him. 
I don't care for the guy, but he's still a very dominant political figure. And my job is not to decide who gets to run for president or not. My, my job is to not take orders when orders lead down that path and wrote, I've got to come clean. I mean, that's, that's really where the, the, the game changer lies. I mean, once again, I can do some things. Barry can do some things. Larry can do some things. We can all do certain things, participating in political, political discourse, um, activating ourselves in political parties and movements. I mean, we can all do some of that, and I think we should. I think we, we kind of have a debt to, I mean, if you believe in America first, then try to be an activist within, within America first. Um, because it doesn't have the underpinning. It doesn't have the, the legacy underpinning that some of these other political movements do. And rest assured, guys, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney are as committed to stop this as Nancy Pelosi is. I mean, that, that's the problem here. This is, this is energy not of a party but within a political party. So, so Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell want America first to dissipate and go away as, as much as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer do. And that's what, but but some, I mean, the, the most logical opportunity is for somebody within DOJ, within the FBI, within the IRS to say, man, I mean, I can't be a part of this. I mean, I, you know, it's not my job to dictate who the president is or in what direction they choose to carry the country. And they're asking me to be complicit, part and parcel to that. Can't do it. And then you go see a senator, as whistleblowers do. And that's kind of, you know, I, that, that's what I hope happens within. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843 Got a call. Let's go there. Here is John in Florence County. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning, Mr. Ambassador. I hope that your recent trip down to PI was um, very professional and respectful. I'm sure. Uh, let's hope they don't come down to your place down there with machine guns. There anyway, you go. I was there watching, you... <laughs> watching yesterday morning in a... I checked the other networks. Usually, watch Fox, and we saw um, Lyme disease on one thing, uh, school safety on another, and Olivia Newton-John on the other. And then they, ABC did go about two minutes, and then they went to some kind of fluff thing. I don't know what it was, but anyway, appreciate it. Hope y'all are having a great morning. And uh, we're down here in Florida trying to um, find out where the rally is. Anyway, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, John. Yeah. Um... P.I. was just fine, and I got in the sauce Friday night and started listening to Dylan and Prine. I started sending Rev screenshots, uh, like, like, you know, and I'm by myself just sitting on the porch listening to uh, the kind of music I like. Nobody else likes it, but I like it. Therefore, you know, I had to be by myself. If you listen to my kind of music, you're normally um, in your own company and no one else's. Hey, we're, we're down south, and WWJD. It's kind of important. I mean, I don't want to say the South is the buckle of the Bible belt, but it's a very, uh, there's a religious undercurrent in, in Southern America that is probably more permeating than in most places. What would Jesus do? You know who my political hero was, Jefferson. And I've always wondered what would Jefferson do in these moments in American history? Uh, we talked a little bit this morning about the unrestricted majorities, and it's not the elected officials. We're a deeply divided nation, 50 senators with a D beside their name, 50 Republicans with a D beside their name, but but the constitutional form of government was always, um, and some of the genius in this was to recognize uh, the minority. A relevant minority was always important in how we govern ourselves. Author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, Stephen Rabb, is with us. Mr. Rabb, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? So I've always toyed around with the notion that you wrote a book about it. I've actually read your book. 
And it was, um, <laughs> what would the founders do if they were here today? After they threw up, um, I don't know what they would do. But from your perspective, um, when you see uh, the, the rating of a former president's home based on whether or not he may have violated the Presidential Records Act, is it a fishing expedition? Um, what would the central founders in our country think about um, what we have evolved into? Well, it's shameful what's happened. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, this is a fishing expedition, and they are attempting to – this is partisan. They're going after one party, going after another party, and we've seen this before. This has happened in our history under the Sedition Act. So here, the, if, you, if you remember the history a little bit, the Federalist Party didn't like all the criticism they were getting from the Democrat-Republican Jeffersonian Party – and they created an act in which they could actually jail their opponents. And so they, the Sedition Act was if you speak out against the government, if you speak out against the president, if you don't like what's happening, uh, you better not say anything or we will arrest you. And, in fact, they arrested 25 editors of newspapers. They shut down, ended five newspapers altogether and put people in jail um, that were their political opponents. Uh, and what that ultimately, how that ultimately ended, uh, is that uh, the Federalist Party, which was the party that was perpetrating all of this shameful behavior, ultimately went away. This was the act that actually ended the entire party. So their partisan act, their thinking that they are going to acquire more power by shutting down the voice of the people, uh, actually turned around on them and actually put them out of power. In fact, the Federalist Party went away entirely within 15 years. One of the most interesting things that happened in that is not only did they put editors in jail, they actually put uh, Matthew Lyon, a representative in the House at that time, in jail for criticizing the President of the United States. And he went to jail, and he's a representative from Vermont, went to jail, and the election happened and he won re-election to the House of Representatives while sitting in a jail cell. You can see the parallels there between how they are going after Donald Trump, how they would tomorrow put him in a jail cell, and how Americans will rise up and re-elect him from a jail cell if they make him a martyr. And, and so that's, I think, the founders, um, as Jefferson and Madison saw the Sedition Act and uh, and railed against it uh, and said that this was uh, was tyranny and they were correct. Um, they would say the same of of this that we're seeing right now. It's uh, it's yeah. So uh, under there's no doubt that the founding fathers would see these acts happening for partisan purposes and see it as as, as corrupt as it actually is. Uh, Washington said, however, political parties may now and then answer people, popular ends, they are likely in the course of time to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to power. And that's what we're seeing is is unjust dominion by a out of control party. Stephen, is Trump a political revolutionary, and does he know that he's a political revolutionary? Well, he has been revolutionary in American politics. There's no doubt. Um, whether or not, uh, and, and God 
forbid that we end up in an actual armed revolution. I'd say the difference between now and what the founders faced is that they had no constitution behind them at that point when they fought the revolution. There was no constitution that they could turn to and that they could amend and that they could. And I think that what we have between us and an actual revolution is the ability to amend the constitution and to place clearly what once was taken for granted, which was part of our American ethos, that people got what America was, and so you didn't have to codify every single element of it in the Constitution. The Constitution was to restrict the federal government from overstepping its boundaries and taking over what should be the, the prerogative of the states. That's what the Constitution was meant to do, and they have forgotten that. So they must be reminded, and we must remind them through amendments to the Constitution. That's the revolution that we're heading towards, a revolution in updating this Constitution to make sure it actually reflects the American ethos that we have lived under and lived by for more than 200 years. Very well explained. Stephen, thank you for being with us this morning, and, um, and I really enjoyed your book, enjoyed your comments. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. That's kind of an interesting take. I thought it would be interesting to hear, uh, you know, WWJD. I mean, in spirituality is what would Jesus, I mean, in life in general, what would Jesus do? What would Jefferson do is something I always refer to. It's very interesting, though. The American Revolution was not predicated upon a constitution. The constitution came after uh, the winning of the, the Revolutionary War. Country was born. Out of that came um, laws, regulations, uh, precepts, concepts. Um, you know, I heard yesterday multiple media members and, and a few friends of mine that are arguing that the reason they're trying to indict Trump is so he can't run for office again. Um, I understand the statutes. I just don't think there's a judge. Well, I mean, maybe a, a Trump-hating judge, an Obama-giving judge, an Epstein-representing judge may do this, <laughs> but it's hard to convince me. And I could be wrong. I'm not a scholar by any stretch. But the, the Constitution clearly defines the requirements to run for president. And Trump meets those requirements whether he's indicted or not. I think the statute, to believe the statute usurps the authority of the Constitution and takes precedent over the Constitution is simply unconstitutional. Uh, we read a statute yesterday, and there is some statutes in here that I think apply to someone other than the president. But I think the Constitution makes it clear who can and cannot run or what are the requirements to be a candidate for president. And whether Trump's indicted or not, I think has very little. I mean, I think it would be fun to have him indicted and running for president of the United States of America. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, for radio show, I mean, it, it would be so interesting to have a guy who is under indictment running for president and how many people would vote for an indicted guy over someone else, whether it's Biden or Harris or Buttigieg or whomever the Democrats come up with. But, but yeah, I mean, rest easy, my friends, if you believe that this uh, this whole escapade in American politics is about indicting Donald Trump with a crime, potential crime, and, you know, getting him off the ballot. Uh, the statute does not carry the day. I mean, it just does not. Uh, once again, I'm not, I'm Jonathan Turley. I'm not Andy McCarthy. I'm not a constitutional scholar, but, but I've always believed that nothing overrides what the constitution says and who can or cannot. I mean, if you want to vote for a felon, you want to vote for a bank robber, you have every right to vote for a bank robber. As long as he's 35 and a naturalized citizen. That's the way I've always interpreted the Constitution. We got statutes all over the place. I mean, the government likes to pass laws. 
I mean, they like, they're full of themselves. They like to hear themselves talk and, and watch themselves do things. So we've got statutes on the book. I just don't for a second buy that the statute um, supersedes or, or, or takes precedent over what the Constitution says. Let's go to the phone. Bob in Florence is next. Hello, Bob. Yes, this is Bob in Florence. Hey, uh, Ken, um, something, I'd like your thoughts on this, something that's just not uh, uh, making sense here. Um, I'm not sure if the, why the Democrats, why the, why the, the cathedral is doing this now. It seems a little premature. You know, I understand that there's a lot of children among them that, you know, they, they realize they've got the reins of power and they'll use power the way they want to use it. And they, they got them, they got them. We're going to get them now. And they're doing it now. Now, from a strategic point of view, is really not the time to do it. Um, the election being that far away, if their target is Donald Trump, um, it may be that they're trying to get their last shot in before they get tossed out of uh, Congress. But um, I, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you know, there's a lot of Democrats up there that are very foxy and very uh, cunning, and I wouldn't put it past them that maybe something else is going on here. Uh, your thoughts on that, Ken, and I'll drop off. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think about this, you know, overplaying your hand. Um, it's pretty obvious to me they've overplayed their hand. Well, is, 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 if it's that obvious to me they've overplayed their hand, what am I missing? I mean, when something is, is that obvious and that easy to figure out, you're always thinking about, okay, there's something here I'm not seeing. There's something here that I'm missing. I thought a lot about that yesterday afternoon, especially when you hear, once again, not the 25 that, that are in my camp. But the 10 or 15 that sent me texts and say, hey, man, this is a bridge too far. I mean, I'm, I'm never wearing the hat. I'm never going to the rally. But but I certainly don't support what the government's trying to do to your guy. This is what they'll always refer to Trump as, my guy. You know, I, I, this is a bridge too far. Well, I mean, if it's that obvious. In other words, if those 10 or 15 who normally don't send me that text, that they're normally sending me the video of Trump saying something crazy and outlandish, along with a side note of how can you be for this, man? I mean, you've got an IQ over 50. I mean, how can you be uh, for this? And I'm always responding, I'm not for that. I'll accept that as a mistake. I'll accept that as a shortcoming. Wish he hadn't done it. But I think it's too, I think the big picture uh, allows me to see past some of these mistakes that, Trump's make, uh, that Trump makes. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do think a lot about what he just said. If it's that easy for us to figure out, is there something we're not thinking about? Chess, not checkers, right, Drew? 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's take a break. We got a call. We'll get to the call as soon as we get back. 843-661-0937. Someone on the phone. Let's go there. Carol and Marion. Good morning, Carol. You're on the air. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, first, I want to say hi to Mike from Freehold because I grew up in Brick. He knows where that is. <laughs> um, second, uh, Imagine how that would be if we lost the uh, Democratic Party in 15 years. That would be great. Um, and, <laughs> and third, um, I think that people are um, doing Tim Scott wrong. Like, how is uh, calling him an establishment Republican for um, <clears throat> backing Lisa Murkowski any different from the Democratic Party calling him an Uncle Tom for being a black Republican? It really is no different. Thank you, Carol. I don't have a problem with Tim, and I think we've got to be careful to 
uh, insist or require people to be purist. I mean, I think there are people that can be a little bit conflicted with America first and and what I'd call traditional Republican politics. I don't think traditional Republican politics are bad. I think weak need Republican politics are bad. I think squishy Republican politics are bad. I don't think, I mean, I'm not opposed to conservatism. I'm, I'm opposed to people who preach conservatism and don't act upon those conservative values who go along and get along. That's what I'm opposed to. Tim's never gone along and got along as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's made a couple of votes in, and that, that I've, you know, I can remember a couple of times Tim voted away and I'm going like, I probably would have voted a different way, but I think we got to be careful to not require people. I mean, you're kind of nodding your head here. Uh, we can't, we can't make people become purist. Uh, we got to welcome and embrace these guys who have a, um, an America first leaning or bias about them, but may wander off a bit. I mean, I or, think or we they, all, have a, they have a loyalty that we don't know or understand. Well, I mean, they, they have a, they have a compass. I mean, they have a moral compass. I mean, we all do. We all um, we all believe in something. I mean, Rev doesn't believe in exactly what I believe in. I don't believe in exactly what Rev believes in. I mean, my top five things in life would probably interchangeable with his, but my number one may be his number four. My number four may be his number two. I mean, we all have that, you know, that, that disposition, and, and we have a right to have um, that disposition. So I'd be careful about, you know, calling Rice a rhino or, excuse me, um, uh, Ron, Tim, Tim, Scott. Tim Scott a rhino or someone who's off the reservation uh, I, I think we've got to accept that at times, as we grow America first, as it prospers and matures, it becomes, uh, you know, a bigger political force. I, I think you, you'll accept that, okay, um, I'm not with him on that. But but he's with me about 80% of the time. I mean, so some of the, because um, I think there's there's an absolute um, commonality or kin spirit, kindred, uh, kin spirit about uh conservatism and America first. I think conservatism is America first. I think America first is conservatism, not, not completely overlapped with one another, but if you took a Venn diagram and had conservatism in one circle and America first in the other, there's going to be a lot of interlocking intertwinement between those two political movements. And uh, I, I think we got to be careful in requiring someone to be 1000% committed to exactly what it is. We perceive America first to be. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So if Trump's such this loser and, and so hated, why wouldn't they just let him get out of his own way? But And they can't because that, that whole narrative is really just a lie. But, you know, when they raided his home, they proved they stole the election. I mean, they might as well just, you know, post it in the paper. But a president doesn't increase by, what, about 13 million votes when running for re-election and then lose by 7 million votes, you know, so they stole the election, plain and simple. There's no question about it. We can, we can pass that narrative. He, they stole the election. So here's my question. I'm constantly hearing, we got to vote, we got to vote, we got to vote. But knowing they stole it, how can we fix this at the ballot box if they're just going to steal it again? Serial numbers yeah. on ballots. I mean, that, there's a good starting point. I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but serial numbers on ballots creates a chain of custody that is going to be far more consistent than what we have today. Oh, all right. But are we going to get that before 24? No. So what happens when they steal it again in 24? They keep shoving this stuff down our throat. Um, they already seize most of our taxes. If you're if you're employed with an employer, they already seize most of your taxes before um, when you get your paycheck. So. You, you're already paying your taxes, so we can't just stop paying taxes. So how do we fight back nonviolently when they've taken every path to fight back peacefully? 
I'm not advocating for anything, but some of you also think that the federal government is much further away than it really is. You know, every community's got a post office. Um, every every city has a National Guard armory, Social Security office, USDA office. Bigger cities have these federal courthouses and FBI offices. The federal government is within our communities, um, and they're incredibly vulnerable, um, but what do we do if they're going to take away every opportunity we have to do this peacefully? Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I mean, that, that's a conundrum, no doubt about it. I mean, you've got these, um, you've got these, these, these realities you're dealing with. You know how unfair they are. I mean, look, guys, I can say in the first person, I fought the government and lost. I mean, the best analogy I can use when I was lieutenant governor dealing with the AG and SLED and, and all these other government agencies, I felt like I had to walk through that door and they could walk through the wall. And they dictate terms and conditions, and it's like fighting a ghost. I mean, I've used that analogy a lot. I've never fought a ghost, but I feel like I have. And, um, and yeah, it's scary. I mean, it, there, there's no question about it. And when they're willing to abuse those privileges, it gets real dangerous. Back in a minute. 843 Dr. Will Bold is with us. But before, I want to go to Fox News Radio's Eben Brown. Um, I'll offer an anecdotal nugget of information Um when the raid happened at Mar-a-Lago, I got about 25 texts from the likely suspects. I got about 10 that I didn't expect to get inquiring about, wow, I mean, are we going this far? There, there is no doubt that it has intensified, um, energized the, the Make America Great Again movement, the America First movement. But, but Evan, it seems to me that it's even drawing sympathy from those who probably don't normally identify as a MAGA or Make America Great Again um, enthusiast. What, 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 what say you about that? Well, there's certainly a lot of people whose eyebrows got turned up over this. They, they felt it was uh, either inappropriate or not helpful uh, that the Department of Justice would serve a warrant, uh, and by serve a warrant we mean raid, uh, the home of the former president while he wasn't there, not allow his lawyers to be there, uh, and uh, basically take what they knew was there anyway, and that was a bunch of uh, compartmentalized or classified documents uh, that uh, uh, that the GSA itself uh, cataloged and boxed up and sent to him uh, when he was departing the White House. Uh, this is this was not something that they they didn't know he had or whatever the case is. So uh, the taking of these documents. Um, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are just wondering exactly what the end game is here. What are they looking for? We can assume that they are trying to find some kind of violation of the Presidential Records Act. Uh, but even that act uh, has a pretty strict standards about exactly what's actionable. I mean, someone who, let's just say, negligently took things or, or arranged for something to be taken down to their private home uh, or, or or didn't return something that they had needed uh, for a while, but no longer needed. I mean, those are those are not really actionable items under this law. You you would have to find some kind of evidence that he was uh, selling secrets or you know something like that. Um, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna find anything. Um, what's interesting to me isn't so much the reaction of the the MAGA crowd as it is the reaction of the absolutely never Trump crowd. Um, Half of the people, uh, you know, when something like this happens, they rub their hands together, they get a little greedy look in their face, and they say, now we got him. Finally, the walls are closing in. It's, it's, it's over for Trump. They have convinced themselves of this happening 17 times at least. <laughs> uh, and uh, the other half go, what did you do this for? This just plays right into his, uh, his complaints that the, uh, the deep state is out to get him. 
uh, and and they, uh, you know, I, I think either you know either reaction from the other side, if you will, from the other side from Trump is uh, is probably somewhat, uh, you know, it's probably somewhat uh, uh, numerous, if that's the right word, among among those folks. Um, uh, Trump supporters, of course, I think perhaps might might be a little energized by this. Uh, we did see some some pretty hefty turnout yesterday for Trump-backed uh, primary candidates in, in different primaries around the country yesterday, most notably in the gubernatorial primary in Wisconsin. Um, whether or not it truly correlates to what happened at Mar-a-Lago the other night, it, it's kind of hard to tell. It's interesting. Evan, last question. I want to get your take on this. Um, yesterday when we spoke, it was said or rumored or speculated there were leaks about the uh, the President's Records Act. There are a couple of scholars out there now suggesting that it may have been a fishing expedition. Any reporting, um, non-speculative reporting, but but confirmed reporting that that may be the case? Yeah, not not really. There have been some uh, some word out of people who might have been in the know that Melania's things might have been gone through, and uh, that's just really really odd. If uh, the thing about warrants is that they usually have to be pretty specific. Um, so if if they were going in to take documents that they knew were there, then perhaps maybe a warrant would have been. On its face, uh, you know, permissible or legitimate, saying, "Look, we we know these documents exist, and we know that they're located in this part of the mansion. We're going to go in and get them." Uh, a judge might sign off on that kind of a warrant, uh, but uh, usually judges are not too keen on basically saying, "Well, you you, you want to go find whatever you can find. You want to see what's in there, no matter what, uh, and you want." Uh, you know, this carte blanche to just basically go looking for whatever might turn up. Those ju- judges usually don't go for that. Uh, and if, if, if a warranted search uh, turns into that, uh, a lot of the times any, any evidence that might be found is thrown out by a judge. So uh, it, it's, um, it, it's a real slippery slope. And, and people, it's another reason why people wonder if this was political or not. Uh, there were some complaints that the warrant was not signed by a U.S. district judge, but by a U.S. magistrate judge. Uh, it doesn't really make a difference. Magistrates um, magistrates are not Senate confirmed uh, or lifetime appointed. They're actually hired by via an election by the local district court itself. The judges of the court will elect uh, magistrate judges to basically do what I call like the busy work of a federal court. They might, you know, oversee uh, first appearance cases or jury selection those kinds of things, uh, and they can sign warrants, too. So the, the warrant being signed by a magistrate is, is probably Well explained. Evan, thank you for your time. Very enlightening, very helpful. Uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. Fox News Radio's Evan Brown with us. Dr. Will Bolt is with us this morning, so a slow news cycle. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bolt, good morning. How are you? <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing major. Yeah, Coppins had some scheduling changes. He's taking on some other responsibilities, and Will, um, and he's training for a powerlift competition, yeah. so, so we'll get back with him uh, sooner than later, we hope. Uh, but Dr. Bolt's here this morning. So um, you're a historian. Yeah. Um, is there any historical precedent <laughs> to what we're dealing with this morning and yesterday? Yeah, this is a this is a first. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the the textbooks have to say about this. Moving on, usually most presidents, when the term is done, you just you ride off into the sunset. You know, cut some ads, raise some some funds for charities. Uh, really not build a library. Involved. Exactly right. That's the big thing in the past 40, 50 years. But uh, yeah, having your uh, your home raided—that's they—they uh, they certainly didn't do that to Andrew Jackson. Of course, if you did that to Jackson, he'd have come out guns blazing. 
for sure. If you did it to Jefferson. They were afraid of Jackson is, right. why, they, is why they didn't do it. I'm not going to raid that man's house. Jefferson, you'd have given him, he'd have given him some, some nice wines. And I guess Clinton, you'd have to make sure it was just, just male agents doing the raid. But um, <laughs> A little humor yeah, there yeah, for, for my academic. I'm impressed. I'm in, kind of going out on a limb here. I, I kind of figured this, this topic would pop up, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Okay, let's let's stay in the in the vein of um. Do we have a caller? Okay, yeah, let's go to the call that I want to come back and um and then ask Bolt about some um constitutional issues that we've tried to discuss this morning. Tony in Calhoun County, listening to WTQS. Hi, Tony. Hey, good morning, Mister Bolt. How are you? Anyway, um, kind of wanted to go back to traditional Republican values, and I really don't have any interest in this. Mister um, Bolt can weigh in on this. Traditional Republican values dating back to the end of the Whig Party when the Republican Party started were three planks. Three planks were high uh, or high tariffs, chiefly if you look at the Moral Tariff Act, which was a 70% increase on tariffs, passed five weeks before the attack on Sumter, and I think it was a major cause of the Civil War, nobody talks about. Second plank was corporate welfare. Um, they funded the railroads, the canal projects. Lincoln himself went and bought land in Council Bluff, Iowa, so Lincoln could uh, direct the railroads to buy his property with taxpayer money to start the railroad. And the other, the third plank that the Republicans were behind were a, a non-gold-backed national U.S. bank, the NUB. Um, you know, so I don't want to go back to central banks. I don't want to go to you know, high taxes. I don't want to go to corporate welfare. So I don't want to do the traditional Republican thing. Second, what would Adolf Hitler do if the German voters had serial numbers on their ballots and he knew who voted for whom. I mean, I don't think we want serialized ballots. I don't want anybody knowing exactly how I voted. That's all I have today. Thank you. Appreciate that. Why does someone have to know if the ballot has a serial number on it? I'm not saying a corresponding ownership goes along with the serial number to the ballot, but it validates the legitimacy of the ballot. In other words, if a ballot has a serial number, it's a real ballot. Um, That ballot can only be counted one time. Um, I'm not saying that it has to be um, Mike from Freehold votes for, or he voted on ballot eight one seven nine five three nine one. No, I'm not suggesting that for a second. I just think it legitimizes the ballot. There are no reproduced ballots. Um, th- there can't be two of the same number. Um, if you make up numbers that aren't you know in sequence and they're not cataloged, they don't count. Um, so we've got ballot one through one hundred and fifty million, or hundred. Let's say one through two hundred million. There's only one ballot number one. There's only one ballot number, you know, 1,747,000. I'm absolutely opposed to um, not allowing that vote to be private. I mean, you have the right for your vote to never be known by anyone other than yourself. I mean, if you tell people who you vote for, that's your business, but no one should ever know who that person voted for. That is a matter of privacy, and you deserve that privacy. The point I'm trying to make is to cut down on fraud or manipulation of ballots a ballot has a, it's like a dollar so, bill. Like photocopy. Sure. Uh, uh, you uh, can't it, do that. It's, it's got a, it's got an inscribed serial number and, and the, you know, we don't know what ballot Mike cast. We don't know what ballot Dave or Dr. Bolt cast. We just know that there's a, there, there's a serial number associated with that ballot. It was cast and it was counted and it'll never be counted again. And, and I just, I mean, once again, I'm not saying that's the best idea that, that I, you know, I'm not saying that's the, um, the, the, the way to clean up any sort of irregularities in voting, but but I think that does address the chain of custody issue. Um, is that a real ballot? Did that person really feel that ballot out? Once again, we're, we're, there's no way to get to a perfect place. 
I mean, there are always going to be questions about how we how we voted. I want to go to Tony's second point, sure. Dr. Bolt. And um, my my belief in traditional Republican politics is from Ronald Reagan. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it, it postdates the Reagan revolution, so to speak. But I'm dating myself. And I've read about the Whig Party and, and the eventual Republican Party and Lincoln being a Republican and buying land. I mean, I knew all that. But, but when I'm saying traditional conservative Republican values, I'm talking about post-Reagan revolution, yeah. limited government, deregulation, empowering the private sector, kind of, kind of. I don't say union busting, but but yeah. you know, empowering the private sector, allowing sure. capitalism to rear its head. Um, but but I want I want to stay in the vein of that. So um, has anybody ever been? I know we're going to talk about Jackson and some of these <laughs> other figures, but in modern American political times, has anybody been as assaulted? Maybe that's an overstatement, but attacked, um, investigated. There's a better word. Yeah. Is, is there any precedent to the number of investigations that American president, one president has to deal with like Donald Trump has? No, there's no, nothing even even close. I mean, this is just, it just, it never ends. As the the, the, the radio guy, Fox, Fox guy said, how, how many chances do you get a, how many shots are you going to take at President Trump? We've used the metaphor before. He's he's the Lazarus man, right? Mm-hmm. He's the the villain from a, a scary movie. You know, Democrats every time. Ah, oh, we finally got him. We're putting the stake through the heart, and he keeps coming back. And it just, it, w- one is enough enough. But do you think? I mean, I'm, 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 you're a historian, but you're also here to give commentary. Do you think that those who find him um, uh, irredeemable, those who find him um, so vile and wicked that he needs to be banished from the political system? Uh, and never to be seen again. Do you think they've overplayed their hand? I think it's a it's a bad it's a slippery slope. And right, this is what would they say in, in the Godfather? This is small potatoes for potentially violating a presidential record. It's not like he's converting high treason or plotting a coup or a murder. And so I would imagine most Americans, like even if they don't like him, do we do we want to go down this road? I mean, just perhaps what was maybe just an honest mistake. I mean, shoot, anybody who has to have a job at the end when you're cleaning out the desk or the office, maybe it takes something inadvertently that you you thought was yours, you got it as a gift, and it's like, oh, i got to leave it behind. And so, as you alluded to and others are probably saying, it's probably a fishing expedition. They're probably trying to find something else, right? They're sort of they're getting in there. We, now the door is open. What else can we find? They're trying to maybe land the the knockout blow. And it's it's blown up in their face. It looks like and should should we expect? Do, do, does does I mean I understand the ongoing investigation. That's always the you know the standard answer. You know we don't comment on uh, in ongoing right. invest or about ongoing investigations. From your perspective, do the American public deserve to hear from the FBI and DOJ about why they did what they did a couple of days ago? I think in this instance the answer is yes. And normally you would say all right, there's you have to. This isn't, we don't do our dirty laundry in public, but this is a former president, a guy who is still actively involved in politics, a, a the likely runner, nominee of the, of the Republican party in 2024. Wanted. And I guess the, the irony is he would, it, it, all the winds seem to be like, he was maybe just going to step aside and it was going to be somebody else. And maybe the Democrats could breathe a sigh of relief. He's gone. And now they've almost emboldened him by this. They've, they've energized him and his base Again, it's another grievance that they have, and it's just another black eye for the FBI. I don't, I don't know why. Who, who signed off? Who thought this was a was a good idea? That just that, that puzzles me. Well, I mean, it's got to be Merrick Garland. I mean, you don't raid the home of a yeah. former president without the AG 
saying, okay, I'm on board. Well, so, um, shouldn't let's this do have it. come from the top? You, sure. you would think that the president himself would have but, but see, but, but see, Dr. Bolt, that's where I think the confusion lies. I think people like Garland wonder who is in charge. Yeah, right. Who do they take the orders from? Yeah, I mean, yeah. because, I mean, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Biden took 20 minutes to get his blazer on, and his wife finally had to put his blazer on. He shook hands yesterday. I mean, I can't visually show this, obviously, because we're an audible, you know, medium, but but he shook hands with a guy. The guy shook hands with a guy, a person beside him, and, and Biden goes as if he'd just forgotten. I mean, it really and truly, I mean, it's kind of alarming when you see it. And again, I, it's a little bit sad, and I think Jill, you know, Biden is uh, guilty of elder abuse but it is what it is and but i think a lot of the concern here is who is in charge who who at the white house is in concert with merrick garland or christopher ray and because they're not doing it in, in total isolation i mean there, there's no biden probably doesn't know but if he did know he probably wouldn't know i mean i know it's kind of weird to say but you understand what i'm saying but the guy is not coherent he's in significant cognitive decline so if you go to joe biden and say hey here's what we're thinking I mean, I don't think he comprehends all of that. I mean, if he's on a recent meta uh, medicine cycle, he's probably in a little better standing than, than before. But who at the White House is directing uh, what's going on? I mean, you don't think it's Biden. I don't think it's Biden. I don't have any idea who it is. I think it's Obama acolytes. I mean, I think that's who's kind of running the show. Mm-hmm. And um, Somebody unelected. So, so if you think about it, to Dr. Bolt's point, if you think about it, and we'll take a break here. If you think about it, why wouldn't you roll the dice? I mean, if you're the FBI director, if you're the, the attorney general, um, it, it's all going to end up at the president's doorsteps. I mean, whether, whether he directed or not, he's the president, you're not. So, so if you've got a guy that, that you can always make the fall guy, because, I mean, Biden doesn't know any better. It's a little bit like, give it to Mike, he'll eat it. I mean, Mike eats anything. You know what I mean? Let, let, let's blame Biden. I mean, the, the public, I mean, if Biden says, I didn't know, the public will certainly believe him. You know, when Trump says, I don't know, oh, you're lying. I mean, I, you, you, I know you know. I mean, if anybody knows, you know. But when Biden says, I don't know, I find myself, if somebody, you know, a Republican voter, when Biden says, you know, I didn't know, I'm not familiar, I'm going, of course you're not. I mean, of course you didn't know you're not familiar. Um, you fell off a bike, man. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, I just think it's, it's such a weird. I can see Trump not, exploding and being mad that he didn't know if they didn't right. tell oh, of course. So I mean, no, it, yeah. yeah, anybody would believe that. I mean, you could you could see Trump throwing food against the wall yeah. and, and you know, just right. Anybody else, if you're a CEO at the top and they go around you without you telling them, yeah, of course you'd be mad as you know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I just think Biden is such a a diminished political figure. And, 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 and you know, just a sad old man. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, I think it's, it's sad what they have um, put him through so they can enjoy uh, political sure. power and persuade. Let's take a break. I'm going to sure. come back and talk about the constitutionality or not of Donald Trump being able to run if he is indeed eventually indicted. One of these days on something. Just keep looking. They're looking. Yeah, just All keep right. looking. Eat too many fish sandwiches. Let's make a law that there's uh, you can't eat with so many fish sandwiches. For McDonald's, take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Dr. Will Bolt, history professor at Francis Marion University, is with us. Um, I want to go to the phone. We'll come back and uh, kind of conclude with Dr. Bolt and a constitutional issue or not. Linda in Sumter listening to WDXY this morning. Hi, Linda. You're on the air. Good morning. The FBI, the CIA, and the IRS should be shut down and give to the U.S. Marshals. Each state should be give U.S. Marshals and remake the IRS to be run within the state. All the all those buildings that they occupy should be sold and put toward our debt, give the power back to the states. The guns and the ammo 
that the IRS just got should be given to each state's police department. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate that. You know, the IRS before the um, the Inflation Reduction Act that turned, <laughs> yeah, yes. that turned into the uh, green energy, clim- well, was climate, taxes, and health care yes. bill. I get confused when you call it the Inflation Reduction well, I mean, Act. Th- they're not calling it that anymore. <laughs> I mean, they, they I just passed it. It was called the Inflation yeah. Reduction yeah. Act. Now that it's passed, it's just disappeared. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you pass the Inflation Reduction Act, you better reduce inflation. <laughs> And, and, you know, a month from now, people are going to say, well, they passed that bill, and it, it hadn't you know, reduced inflation. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's all of a sudden now it's morphed into the, the climate, health care, and tax bill. Of course it is. But, but the IRS had 93,654 FTEs, full-time employees, um, at last reporting. That's from the Office of, Account of, the Office of Government Accounting. Um, they will add 87,000 new employees by 2031, if I'm not mistaken, um, from what I've read, there will be about 2.4 million whole households making less than $75,000 a year that will now be audited. So this I'm out to get the rich. That's just simply not not the truth. Here's the here's the opportunity we have. You ready to uh, reform the IRS? The flat tax. I mean that that there, there you, you go, go with some conservatism uh, in play. Go. Let's go to a um, I know the fair tax crowd will say I don't want a fair flat tax. I want a fair tax. We may have to compromise a bit there. Some sort of tax based on economic transactions, a consumption tax, um, not a value add tax. I ain't going that route of, of Europe, but but some sort of um flat tax. Uh, you can cut the IRS. We can go from um so we're going from ninety three to one hundred ninety. We can go from one hundred ninety to twenty thousand. I mean the IRS needs about twenty thousand total employees. Um, you ought to be able to do your taxes on the back of a stamp, uh, a flat tax, and um, let some of the local municipalities work on property taxes and or add valorum property taxes and the likes. But um, yeah, the the if if the Republicans swing for the fence, they won't. But if they would, um, that they could not abolish the IRS, but reform the IRS and and institute a flat tax. I don't know what the number is, 16, 17, 18% on every purchase. We can argue about houses and cars and some of these other things. Should you pay 15% when you buy a home? I mean, think about that. I mean, if we're going to the flat tax, um, there's a swap off I would sign up for. I mean, I don't know what the number is. I don't know what I'm willing to give up to get. But but I think, yeah, let's let's significantly trim line or streamline the IRS and let's go to a flat tax. Let's kill two birds with one stone. I want to go back to Dr. Bolt and get his... um, perspective on this so i'm arguing that some some uh, reasonable people have argued that the statutory um requirements of being president um are, are clearly defined in some of the recent statutes right, law, yeah. uh, law there you go statutes laws um passed by congress one is that if someone is indicted of a crime they're no longer able to run for public office the argument i'm making is there's nothing that um that, that usurps the authority of the Constitution when right. it comes to the president. Right. You would think, right, there's just two two qualifications, right? Natural born citizen, 35 years old. So do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. If the Constitution were amended to right. say something different. If the uh, there was a amendment that said once you're indicted, if convicted of a crime, a felony, game over, right, then that's the, the an amendment trumps everything else. But if the statute carries the day, Rev, stick with me for a second. <laughs> if the statute carries the day, the legislative body can always decide who runs for right. president and who doesn't. I mean, let's say right. the legislative body says uh, an American president can't weigh over 250 pounds. 
I mean, it can't be less than five foot ten. Frivolous, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, and and that was always the intent of the Constitution to keep the executive as a co-equal branch, not subservient to the legislative branch. Is that your interpretation, historian friend? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good deal. If you look back at the early state constitutions, a lot of the uh, governors, in order for the governor to get paid, the legislature had to pass a special bill. So the only way the governor is going to get paid is if he plays ball. Right, he's not going to veto. He's going to appoint the the friends of the legislature. There's there's no separation. So right, so you give the the governor, the president, an annual salary that doesn't got to get on hands and knees and beg for. And so again, that's how you keep things separate. But again, what, what the point you're making is it is a slippery slope. Right, you're you're tying the two branches together, and certainly and, not what the founders wanted. And they're not co-equal if the legislative branch dictates can the write. the requirements of who can run for president. Or who cannot. So for those out there concerned about, well, the reason they're trying to indict him is they don't want him to run for president again. I think Trump could be an indicted man and a candidate for president. I mean, I, I don't think that violates think, the, right. the Constitution. Now, again, you got to get the, will the courts play ball? Sure. And you've got to hope that if it, this is probably going to wind up in the lap of the Supreme Court, you'd hope that they wouldn't punt. You'd hope that they're going to fast track this and they're going to do, we've, they can move quickly when they want when to. When they want to, when they choose to. But they can also drag their feet. Do they want to run out to the clock? But I would, I would hope and pray that on something like this, the Supreme Court would say this: we're going to get, we're going to decide it one way or the other. Totally agree. We got a call. Let's go to the phone. Pat in Florence. Hello, Pat. You're on the air. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Pat. Uh, I was just wondering. Uh, we know that the other side will stop at nothing, and they will do anything if they were looking for documents. Who is to say that they've got, they had these documents, whatever you're looking for the whole time, and they just went in there and took stuff, and then they're going to say, uh, yeah, we got we got it. We got what we're looking for. We found it. Planning yeah, evidence is what you're talking about. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Um, there's a report that I've read a couple of places about cameras. Mar-a-Lago has a, um, a pretty extensive camera surveillance system, and the FBI wanted to turn it off, and they refused. Some of the uh, Secret uh-huh. Service... Some of the, uh, I guess the, um, the security personnel at the, I mean, it's kind of, it's a 3000 foot residence, but it's a club. I mean, it's got all these other rooms and ballrooms yeah. and, uh, offices. I mean, it, it's kind of an expansive and different sort of <laughs> residence. Have you seen the interior, uh, some of the inside pictures from, uh, Mar-a-Lago opulent doesn't do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, uh, it's like the Russian oligarch ran into the Saudi prince and they said, how much gold can we put on this wall? Uh, is it fake gold or real gold? I don't have any idea, but looks if it's good, yeah, it, it, well, I mean, it looks good if you like gaudy, you know, if you like tacky and gaudy, it looks good, but it is, um, I told Rev this morning, Rev said, have you ever seen his penthouse in New York? The cat has something about gold, man. I mean, it, there's just, uh, so I want to go back and conclude this segment. So, so as a historian, as a historian, I'm asking you to do something that's unfair. Uh-oh. But but if you were asked to historically account, in other words, in 20 years you're teaching a class, and, and a student says, Dr. Bolt, tell us about the day the FBI raided the residence of a former president. You don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what is All going right. to happen. Is there justification or not? Is there some uh is there something they're looking is there a smoking gun or not you don't know i know i don't know but but from where we sit today what would you tell a student who asked you uh in retrospect well, well, tell us about the time the doj and fbi uh raided the home of a former american president the first i thought was is is this in the onion is this a satirical news is somebody pulling 
my leg. And then, of course, you realize it, it, it's all over the place. It's your, your phone's blowing up that, yes, this, in fact, did happen. Let's hope, let's hope it's a one-off. Let's hope that this doesn't become the norm. That's sort of been the, the greatness of America. We don't really go after our political opponents. We don't, we don't use the levers of powers, the mechanisms. Uh, Richard Nixon is maybe the, uh, the exception to that. But again, there's just sort of been a, an unwritten rule and gentleman's agreement. You don't use the FBI, the investigative powers, to kind of go out and try and sabotage or embarrass your political opponents. So again, I'm hoping when 20 years from now we say, yeah, this was just this one-off, maybe some overzealous guys in the Justice Department. If it becomes a norm, if this, this happens with the next administration, certainly the next administration would have the right payback, would certainly have the right to say, all right, you went after me, I'm going, I'm going after you. And now we're sort of into a revolving door and a new, a new precedent in American history. And so I'm hoping it's this is just a one-off. But isn't that, I mean, shouldn't we all freak out at the idea yep. or notion of politicization of some of these powerful government agencies? I mean, you don't want trouble with the FBI. I yeah, don't want trouble with DOJ. Want Rev doesn't want trouble with the IRS. Well, I mean, none of us want any right. trouble. But when they have been so politicized, yep. it is a great insult and, 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 and a potential demarcation or line of demarcation as to where our country historically has been and where we could eventually head. Well, and it's tough for guys like you and me kind of coming through the, the Cold War era. These were the great heroes. The FBI, the CIA, they, they protected us. They they went after the bad guys. And now sort of they've, they've fallen from this lofty pedestal. I mean, this was the, the career. You know, if you if you said to your dad, hey, I'm, I'm going into law enforcement, I'm going to the FBI, your dad would be very, very proud of you. And so now sort of these, these great noble professions have unfortunately, as a result of just maybe a few overambitious, overzealous individuals who are abusing their powers have sort of unfortunately given lots of innocent, great public servants black eyes. I totally agree with that. And I said earlier, and I'll say it again in conclusion, the the only hope we have, that's not the only hope, the best chance we have at redemption is for some of these very honorable men and women within the DOJ, within the FBI, within the IRS to say, I can't go along with this. I mean, you know, there's got to be some internal dissent of people who yeah. are, have careers invested in the DOJ, careers invested in the FBI, that go home one night and tell their wife or husband, I, I got to say something to somebody. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't know what's going on and allow it to continue. And, and maybe that's some of the whistleblowing that Grassley has. I mean, that, yeah, that Grassley says that we there's an incredible whistleblower that has come to him and says, you know, the, the FBI has become far too politicized. There's an old Andrew Jackson quote. And Jackson said, one man with courage makes a majority so perhaps somebody who's willing to open up this can of worms or just say i'm i'm resigning over this this isn't what i i signed up for perhaps that'll be what breaks the dam we sure hope so thank you my friend thank you good Good seeing you we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments 843-661-0937 is our number let's go to the phone someone's there mike in darlington good morning mike uh, good morning um i hope you found all those dust bunnies out there uh dave uh, behind the equipment, and but uh, it sounds good. The uh, the thing that concerns me is the denial of uh, do- even Dr. Bolt. He said this can't really be happening. And said we hope this is a one-off. Well, this has been a gradually es- escalating thing all along, well, and sometime now it's really accelerated where uh, Trump friends and operatives were. Uh, uh, harassed, uh, tried, uh, put in prison, and uh, this has been happening for a couple of, couple of three years now. 
And uh, so this is this is a logical outcome. It's not a one-off, and it will it continue to accelerate until <clears throat> until the electorate uh, electorate puts a stop to it. And uh, that's the uh, only thing I can see. And I think they, I think there's going to be some hard times in between before we can get uh, some breaks on this movement that's going on. It's a it's a very dangerous time, and I hope uh, cooler heads will prevail. But you have to have some really strong people. And uh, Andrew Jackson knew what he was talking about when he said one man with courage, because he had a mutiny going on, and he stood there with a couple of single shot uh, pistols and back down the mutiny and said, Hey, we got to go get these uh, bad guys. We were commissioned to go get. And, uh, they turned around the army that, um, uh, that's, uh, that, that we're going to need courage like that, uh, in the days to come. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Not just courage, but politi- I mean, you got to have thoughtfulness. Um, Rev, Rev kind of, I mean, I, I think I'm making nervous when I keep referring to these smart, scary people, but, but I think they, these people are going to have to be a part of creating um, an eventual outcome. Uh, I mean, let's think about it, guys. I mean, when you when you say Republican and you say, you know, the Republican Party. So let's take the Republican Party in general. And, and I say Peter Thiel or Mitt Romney. What do you think the majority of Americans hear? I mean, who's a Republican, Peter Thiel or Mitt Romney? Yeah, I mean, Mitt Romney. Oh, I mean, cool. you know, by overwhelming majority in, in the Seinfeld watching America. Mitt Romney would be referred to as much more a Republican operative than than Peter Thiel. I have no faith in Mitt Romney. I mean, I think Romney's a, probably a pretty decent senator. I mean, I think he stands for certain things. Uh, he's far too interventionist. He's far too globalist. He's tar- far too establishment. Um, so when you start talking about, you know, Rev refers to as the smart, scary people, I hear anti-globalist, anti-interventionist, um, almost kind of a pro-nationalist movement within the political party and that's against the grain and i know i've used this a lot i've probably out you know um uh, i warm my welcome so to speak when i keep saying about the alignment the misalignment but but mid romney is an embodiment of the misalignment you know romney spent a political career working on things that were in corporations best interest insiders best interest establishments best interest the cathedrals best interest dare i say and and he liked to be a statesman and all of a sudden, people become aware, more aware. They've always been somewhat aware, but they become more aware that something doesn't add up here. I mean, they told me when they closed those six factories down, the service jobs would be better and my quality of life would improve. Well, it hadn't. My two kids are on opiates. The, the, the plant shuttered 20 years ago, and nothing is coming to replace it. And, and along comes a kind of a, um, a crusader. Along comes a Pied Piper and Donald Trump. And he says things like, you know, the game is rigged. And and, and we go like, I, I don't know if I believe that guy or not, but th- there was kind of an inner compulsion. We, we almost felt we had to believe him because Romney, and I'm using Romney as kind of a uh, an example. I mean, it's not all Romney's fault. Please understand that this is not all Mitt Romney's fault, but I do think Mitt Romney is symbolic uh, of kind of the, the, the reason we end up with Trump. See, there's a great debate in American politics, and a lot of scholars will say, that eventually we'll have a debate what what led to Donald Trump and it'll be Barack Obama and the, the you know the liberal nature I mean he was a five star liberal and he broke the barriers uh, he you know he, he basically um, ah, socialized health care he ushered in 
uh, quasi-communism. It became more mainstream because he was a gifted politician. See, I believe a lot of that, but I believe the majority of reasons that we end up with the Donald Trump is the failure of people to push against Barack Obama. I mean, who challenged Barack Obama? You know, John McCain was a war hero, but John McCain is the reason we didn't overturn Obamacare. I mean, think about that, guys. John McCain was a long-term senator and a presidential candidate that voted not with the Republicans, but with the Democrats. I mean, that, that's how petty the establishment had become. So when you look at Trump, and I think today is the perfect day to evaluate where we are in this, I don't know, run that is so strange and different in the Republican Party, and you try to argue that, well, this is all Obama's fault. I mean, Obama's the reason we got Trump. Nah, I think Obama's partially to blame. And once again, I think, you know, weaponizing government agencies and, and socializing health care and, and mainstreaming some of these collectivist, redistributionist, communist policies. Um, yeah, I mean, that had something to do with it. But, but who did we count on to push against that? Who did we count on to stop those things from happening? Or at least, you know, rage war against the political war against those things. And it just didn't happen. I mean, it was amazing to us how easy it was for Obama to get those things done. And when given the opportunity for the Republicans to overturn it, I mean, the, the Republican turned on Trump because he didn't get to be president. I mean, he wanted to be president, terribly wanted to be president, but he didn't get to be president, so he sided with, you know, socialized health care. I'll never forgive him for that. Well, I mean, you shouldn't. I mean, I, I respect him as a war hero. Sure. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. His politics were very much the mixed bag. There's a little irony in this. Um, can Blake Masters be the next Arizona from the state that gave us the senator who thumbed down to overturning Obamacare. I mean, there, there's a little, I mean, time and distance gives you opportunities. And it's funny how some things work and out sometimes. better believe it. I mean, irony is a son of a gun. Karma is a, you know what they say. <laughs> Back in a minute. So the lead guitarist of um, Dire Straits is Mark Loeffler. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, is he one of the greats of all time? He's up there. Freehold, you're, you're the guitar expert here. Absolutely not. What? So, so Knopfler's no, not one of the greatest? No, he's a, he's a sycophant's favorite. Okay. He's a novelty? Yeah. He's okay. a sycophant's favorite. Okay. Good, yeah, good. He's a, like people who only follow public opinion like him, but no. Could could you be one of these that <laughs> that, that irritates me so much? I'll, I'll, I'll let that slide because I think I'm getting to the bottom of you here. I mean, it takes me a little <laughs> while to figure you know that aggressive side. But but now let's just stay here for a second. Okay. He's going to expose himself. I'm going to um, say. So, so, no, so I'm one here. of these people that <laughs> will always, almost always, take the contrarian route. I mean, you take one side, I'm bound to take the other. Um, and then we'll argue the next week, and you'll take that. I'll say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm and you'll say, well, you took the other side last this last week. I mean, things have changed. Conditions have um have um <laughs> fermented, right? And we're we're different today. So, so are you one of those that would rather go against the grain than? There's no way you argue that Knopfler's not. I mean, I, I agree. Public opinion may give him more favorable treatment than a um. Who've you played a lot of? Uh, the guy that's really, really, really good, Stevie Ray. Yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, I mean, I, I'll agree with that. That Knopfler's been more celebrated in the world of mainstream music than Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. Had hits, um, in other words. Yeah, had hits. Yeah. Uh, both are great guitarists. Would you agree to that? Yeah. Okay. But you don't think Knopfler is one of the all-time greats because he's had commercial success? No, it has nothing to do with that. I see. But I, it does have something to do with it. I look at it You've from, talked yourself into believing it doesn't, but <laughs> no. it kind of does have something to no, do with it. No, I'm the exact opposite. I go strictly by the music. Okay. 100% by the music. What bothers me is that, like I said before, the sycophants who don't really know too much about it and they're not following their own opinion. They're they're just they're saying they like him because that's a public opinion. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let's get to the bottom of this. You ready? Yeah. What makes a great guitarist, from your perspective? Uh, melodic. Okay. Intricate. Um. um good. Listen. Creativity. Yeah. Innovative. Yeah. Innovate. There, there's a better word. Innovative. Um. Who is the most creative, innovative, um, revolutionary guitarist ever? Hendrix. Okay, I agree with that. I mean, I, I thought he'd say that. Um, is Clapton in that category? Yeah. Is Clapton innovative and revolutionary? I would say Clapton's even more melodic than Hendrix was. Okay. Is there somebody we're not thinking about? I mean, give me a name that nobody knows that is one of the all-time great guitarists that ever lived. Mike McCready, Pearl Jam, hands down. Okay. The most underrated guitarist ever. Well, let me ask you this. Is Keith hmm. Richards... One of the all-time guitarists. He was innovative. He wasn't. He was. It was depends it, was it on by, how you look at it. Was it persona? I mean, was it his persona yeah. and the Rolling Stones and? Yeah, he was uh, cool. Okay, he was cool. There, there you yeah. go. There you go. That's kind of interesting. Um, but we all get to places in very different sorts of ways. Um, hey, what do you think of Chet Atkins, Roy Clark? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys, because you can't speak to. Um, I mean, before Eddie Van Halen passed away. Eddie Van Halen said that one of the biggest influences on his life was Chet Atkins. Um, so let, let's stay there, Freehold. He's working now. He's trying to get down to the call here. Got a couple of callers we'll get to. So, Freehold, your take on Chet Atkins is what? I haven't listened enough Because he's of a it. southerner. From, from what I, no, no. I think from he's what a southerner. I, You're not no. a southerner. I, I don't know enough of his work to make that type of opinion, and Look that's my up. whole point. People will make a strong opinion about something okay, without knowing their you. work. I got you. And you refuse to do that. Yeah, because I don't know his work that well. How about Eddie Van Halen? Eddie Van Halen, um, I would put him up there. Okay. I would put him up top five. As far as innovative, uh, he created a sound. 
And that's the thing. When you hear Eddie Van Halen, you know it's Eddie Van Halen. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen and his brother, what was his brother's name? Alex. Alex Van, yeah. They were musically trained. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were very trained musicians. I mean, they'd gone to, like, like played opera music and classical music and, and jazz music. There's a, there's a YouTube video, and, and if you got two hours of nothing to do, um, go to Joe Rogan's podcast of, uh, of uh, David, David Lee, Lee Roth. He doesn't need Joe Rogan. I mean, David Lee Roth is a little bit like a radio show host. He can interview himself for a couple of hours, but he just goes on and on and on about their, um, you believe, it was, I mean, it was hard rock, no, but it's kind of a, um, Rev says Garth Brooks was the connection between country and pop. Van Halen to me was the connection between hard rock and mainstream rock and roll. You know, what are they? I mean, at times they sound like a hard rock band. Mm-hmm. At other times they sounded very popish, <laughs> yeah, you know. They have synthesizers. You better yeah. believe it. But um, but Eddie, David Lee Roth explains why Eddie Van Halen is the greatest guitarist that ever lived. I mean, he, you know, he says, I look, I understand it. I mean, I'm trained. I'm in a rock band. Um, if you ask me how to build that bridge, I, I don't have any idea. What's best for breakfast? Don't know. How to lift weights, never done it. But if you ask me to tell you who the best at whatever sort of musical, you know, career, Eddie Van, he said, I knew that we had the greatest rock and roll guitarist that had ever lived. And he's emphatic about that. Now, Hendrick fans would disagree. And, you know, some of these other fans would disagree. But but David Lee Roth, um, not not as a front man, you know, not not a crazy man. I mean, that's kind of what he was known for, kind of the, the wild front man of, the, of Van Halen. But David Lee Roth breaks down. And it is so interesting to watch a guy that you don't believe has ever had a sober moment in his life talk as a musically trained person about why David Lee Roth was the best guitarist that has ever lived. And he says, do it with all due respect to the others. He says, Clapton is a, is a guitar God. I mean, you know what, what Hendrick did is, is, you know, revolutionary and still impactful in the how, but he walks through and it's interesting for you. He says some of the, some of the same things you say, the, the, um, the visionary, the, the, the innovator, the um, the technician, uh, you know h- how to create the melodics of of. Anyway, it's just real interesting, and um, and and once again, David Lee Roth does not need Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan could go work out, and David Lee Roth would still be interviewing himself uh, an hour and a half or two hours later. And I still like Knopfler, I do. I like his songs. I do I too. Like I mean, I've always he's a great guitar. But player. I mean, Freehold makes a point. Uh, a lot of the reasons that I think Knopfler's so good is I've kind of been told. You know what I mean? I, I've just always heard. He's one of the best there's ever been, and I don't want to, I mean, as much as I like being out of the club, I don't want to be out of the club <laughs> all the time. Um, but, I mean, when you hear Hendrick play, you know you're hearing something different. When you hear Van Halen play, you know you're hearing something different. I, I feel that way about Keith Richards. I mean, there's something about Keith Richards when you hear it is like, man, that sounds yeah. different there, man. I mean, that just sounds different than anybody else. Uh, I've heard play it. Let's go to the phone. Somebody's there. Matt in Florence. Hello, Matt. Hey, guys. Uh, this is not music-related, so sorry for changing the subject. But um, as far as, like, uh, what, what happens to conservatives and the Trump's investigations and things like that, people need to look at this from a different prism. To Democrats, it's okay to violate a Republican's constitutional rights. It's okay to rig elections. We're subhuman to them. Like, we're less than worthy of anything and people need to understand that they don't look at us as regular people we're below human standards according to them um and so they're allowed they feel as though they have the right to do anything they want to and uh the laws only apply to us 
I'm tired of all the investigations that happen up at Capitol Hill. I think they're stupid and a waste of time, and I think they actually get in the way of us governing. Um, that's just my thoughts on that. Last little thing before I go, uh, if y'all could uh, keep Florence County EMS in your prayers. Uh, one of their medics was struck and killed by a car last night, and a couple other people were injured. I think a Florence Police De- Department officer was also injured. So if y'all could just be thinking about them, I'd appreciate it. Yep. We talked a little bit about that this morning, Matt. We've not publicly said anything, but I was on Facebook and saw some um, couple of county council members and folks in that field that um, were asking for prayer and um, consideration. And I, I don't know the details. Um, it's kind of sketchy, and we're not in the business to go down that road out of respect to those who have uh, lost their lives. But it seems, as Matt said, that someone was working an accident in the in the field of first responders and was struck and killed by an automobile once again that's all i know don't have any details whatsoever therefore we're not going too far down that road but certainly um our thoughts and prayers are with those uh who have been adversely affected no question about it matt was talking about um crashing the party and i made notes to myself during the last break um because because i put something on facebook do we believe this, this is such an interesting question. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, be honest with yourself here. Stop, you know, take the red hat off, take the blue hat off, um, take the I hate Trump with every fiber of my being sweatshirt off, take the MAGA sweatshirt off, and let's be reasonably honest with ourselves. Has there ever been a president more investigated than Donald Trump? Has there ever been a politician more investigated than Donald Trump? You've got Russia hoax. You've got January 6th. You've got two impeachments. Uh, Remember the emoluments clause. They thought he might have violated the social media banishment. I mean, he's not allowed to communicate on Facebook or Twitter. They look at all his outside business deals. Sure. Previous, current. So so there's never been, I mean, even Dr. Bolt. I mean, the look on his face when I said, has there ever been a president as investigated as Donald Trump? And his look on his face was like, that's the stupidest question. you No, I mean, (laughs) of course not. There's never been. I mean, second ain't close, as we like to say. Um, and I put something on Facebook yesterday. What if Hillary and Bill Clinton had been investigated to the extent that Donald Trump has? What if Joe Biden and his family were honestly investigated, truly, sincerely investigated about their business dealings? I'm talking about smoking gun. What, what is, you know, the big guy and they share an office and each have a key. I mean, what if, what if, what if Nancy Pelosi were investigated to the extent that Donald Trump, and I'm tired of people saying that Trump is such a corrupt political figure. You're buying the media's narrative. Trump is a different political figure. Trump may be a crook. I don't know. But I know in uh, the Russia hoax, it was found to be just that, a hoax. And it was not just a hoax. It was a hoax perpetrated by an opposition party to a government agency. I mean, you talk about complicity. I mean, imagine this. So the Democrat campaign of Hillary Clinton goes to the FBI I mean, just imagine the comfort level you've got to have with insiderism. The Democrat Party goes to the FBI and says, we think we've got the goods on Donald Trump. I mean, imagine That's the, the arrogance. cathedral at work. Sure it is. Absolutely it is. But imagine the arrogance and certainty and, and, and unity that this group of people have when, when, when Trump, a Republican, runs against Clinton, a Democrat, the Democrat Party says we're going to the FBI and see if we can get them to investigate Trump. That's the crazy ask, but you get an even crazier answer. Yes, we will. We may have to alter a FISA warrant. 
And Kevin Klein-Smith did. Ordered a FISA warrant. <laughs> Excuse me, a FISA judge says, certainly you can put, I mean, I mean, guys, that that is the essence of the cathedral. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Morning, David. Hey, good, good morning, man. Uh, I call it the rock and roll heaven. Can you imagine Elvis pointing over there? Hey, play up, Dutch boy. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, man. You talk about some people, and we talk about Olivia Newton-John. That's Dave Baker's girl. I, I can't claim her. That's Dave's girl. <laughs> and, and I know that was a big deal. Uh, yep. That, what, hey, Dave, when, uh, when you went out to visit Cher, I would have never left. <laughs> uh, that's my girl. Here's another one of my. He didn't girls. want to leave. She uh, made him. He hung around long as he could. <laughs> yeah. She finally said, "Dude, you got to go. Yeah, I mean, nice you can't see you. stay here forever." Thanks for coming. There's the door. There's well, Olivia's see, house. Go, go see Olivia. Over, or, I got <laughs> I an advantage over Dave. I'm a Southern boy. I think she likes Southern boys, especially 20 years younger. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about. Remember that Wonder Woman show back in the day? Yeah, I remember. Sure. I remember both of them. I'll be talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. Heck, heck yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, I never wish bad things happen. But when I watched that show, I said, "Man, I wish something bad would happen." <laughs> and then she threw her little twirl, and bam! I said, "Wow!" But um, the Braves played against the Red Sox last night. I was going to say, Dave, well, you went to the Fenway Park last year, didn't you? That's true. I did. Yes. How, how, how do you remember Boston that? These days, I, whenever we talk about the I Corridor, I think about, you know, our I Corridor, Florence down to, but there's another I Corridor. It's basically from Fairfax County, Virginia, up through Boston. And that's where the Democrats get their power base. It's unbelievable, you know that, but that's their power base. But I was gonna. It, w- did you feel safe when you went to buy? I mean, I've been there before. I, I loved it, but is it a safe town? Boston, I sure. Mean, you witnessed this. Oh yeah, no, no, no problem at all. Well, walked around a lot okay. of downtown. It was no problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just a gorgeous. To me, it's a gorgeous town. You, I mean, I had an opportunity to visit the old Boston Garden. You know, Old North Church, Fenway Park. Uh, but if you think about it, if there was the, oh, I'll leave it this, if there was the ultimate gerryman, let's take a straight line from Fairfax County to D.C. and Baltimore and Philadelphia and New York and Boston and just maybe go 15 miles one way, 15 miles the other day and let them, you know, have their own state. Uh, and that would change a lot of things because that is the really that is their power base is that that northern I ninety five corridor. And I'll leave you at that. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's go to another call. Next is Neil in Sumter, listening to WDXY. Hi, Neil. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, as uh, frustrating as this uh, whole thing with Mar Lago has been, it's a nice distraction to talk about something that really matters in the world, like great guitarists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I've been enjoying this. My brother, uh, one time, uh, I was I was a Van Halen fan. I'm uh, a couple years younger than than you guys, but uh, I was a Van Halen fan early on. And I remember when Suicidal Tendencies came out. That was kind of the be- beginning for me of thrash metal, that really really fast stuff and Metallica. And the guitarist from Suicidal Tendencies played Eruption. You remember the intro song on Van Halen's first album? He played Eruption in like half the time that Eddie played it. 
And I went to my brother, who's a musician. He's a bass guitarist, very good bass guitarist. He's uh, afflicted with a love of jazz, which means he can't make any money at music. But he is very good. And I remember going to him and saying, hey, listen to this, Scott. This is awesome. He plays Eruption in half the time. And he looked at me and said, so, did he write it? And I'm like, and that's, that's stuck with me now for, for you know, over, over, you know, about 35 years that that was really the, the true genius. And, you know, I've struggled with the whole whether you have to write your own music thing. I mean, George Strait would tell you he can't write a song to save his life. And he's had, you know, recorded some phenomenal ones. But somebody like Eddie Van Halen, because he wrote and made up all that music, didn't just copy others, um, you know, adapted it from classical music and everything else. I think I, I remember, you know, when he died in, in the fall of 2020, um, I mean, the only thing that worse could have happened in the world was for Joe Biden to get elected, and I'll be darned. <laughs> Neil, let me, let, let me ask you this, because once again, I'm not a big fan of, of heavy metal. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I love rock and roll, but I stop at about I Van Halen. I mean, that's kind of where I stop. But but I remember yeah. the first time I heard Van Halen. I'm not a music connoisseur. I've never played an instrument. I mean, I sing loud in the shower. That's about the extent of my understanding. I'm more of a lyric guy. I mean, this is weird, and I should be embarrassed. I read a lot of poetry. I've tried to write poetry in my life um and that's probably my draw to dylan and springsteen and some of these other wordsmith guys but but when i listened to van halen it sounded different the first time i ever heard them there was something there i don't know if it was depth arrangement i have no idea innovation but something about them caught my attention because i was not the guy that would find them very interesting um and they still don't know what it is. Still don't have any when, when david lee roth talks about why eddie van halen is the greatest guitarist ever i don't understand what he's saying but, but he's musically yep. trained, and he does understand it. But I got a question for you. You talked about songwriting and musician. Who do you respect more, the great, great songwriters or the great, great musicians, and what do you believe is more difficult? Whew. Well, that's like asking who's the better who's, – who's your favorite politician, the great president or a great senator? Yeah, you know, kind of. They both have their role. Um, See, it's hard to have these debates without a beer in your hand. I mean, this is where you need the beer and a tailgate so you can argue about it for three hours. I think the thing is, with a songwriter, you don't want to take anything away from a songwriter, but the songwriter can write a song and and turn it loose on the world. Uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails has a great commentary. Uh, We read it in the Johnny Cash Museum up in, in Nashville. I don't know if you remember, Johnny Cash won a Grammy about a year. He might actually won it posthumously for his cover of Hurt mm-hmm. by Nine Inch Nails. And Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails said, you know, I thought it was a gimmick when they came to me and said, Johnny Cash wants to record one of your songs. He's like, what? Johnny Cash wants to record a Nine Inch Nails song? That is just ridiculous. Then he, he recorded it and heard how powerful it was. So as a, as a songwriter, he... he held that song close to his heart, but once he released it to an artist, the song truly came into its own. And he and then he recognized the power and the depth that Johnny Cash brought to his song, uh, like ten years after he'd written it. So I think I think I gotta go with the performer maybe. Me too. The performer's the one the one that breathes life into it. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Thank too. you, Neil. Appreciate and, that. And you know what comes to mind for me. Uh, your guy wrote Blinded by the Light and recorded a terrible version of it. Man for Man's Earth Band got it and made a great version of yeah, it. Yeah, and we're nervous when they when they sat down with Springsteen and, and wanted to show their arrangement. Man for Man and Bruce were buddies, and uh, and Man for Man said I had these synthesizers and this kind of an electronic arrangement, and he said I was just so nervous because Bruce is kind of a you know traditionalist when it comes to that, and he said he loved it. I mean, he, he, he lo- that's just kind of once again, there's no right answer to that. I mean, there's no does Eddie Van Halen know that? Uh, excuse me, does David Lee Roth know 
that Eddie Van Halen is the greatest guitarist ever? Of course he doesn't. He thinks he is. But, but <laughs> you know, a lot of others think, you know, uh, this guy was or, or that. The only thing I know about Van Halen, and they weren't, I mean, that, that was not my favorite genre of music. When I listened to them, I knew there was something different. That's about as good a compliment as I can play to Van Halen. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. I could have called Rev out in the last segment. He's a big McCartney fan. Mm-hmm. What is McCartney known as? I mean, songwriter. he's a former Beatle, right. but one of the great songwriters. Sure. What, what, why are the Beatles on Mount Rushmore? Because of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's guitar playing abilities? <laughs> because of their vocal abilities? Their song. No, their songwriting abilities. Um, Elvis would be the guy on Mount Rushmore that didn't. I mean, he's kind of a um, what do I try? Kind of a sex symbol. Uh, music god, uh, a little bit like George Strait, didn't ride anything. I'm not sure George Strait can play a guitar. I mean, he taps the top of it with a black hat or a white hat. There's a, a shtick there that he has, but Strait makes no bones about it. He's, I mean, he doesn't write music. He, you know, has agents or, or people that work for him that says, George, I think this could be a hit. I think this could be a good hit. And guess what? They've been right a lot more than they've been wrong. <laughs> and we had our discussion about the best guitarist and one of my favorite bands, Boston, Tom Scholes, you know, he's never in the discussion of the best guitarist, but he was unique because he wrote those songs from that, you know, the best-selling Boston first album, and he had a sound in his mind, and the the equipment of the day couldn't produce the sound. They invented equipment. So he built the equipment. But didn't Freddie Mercury and Brian May do something like that? I mean, that, they were so, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's just such an unusual Innovative, arrangement. Yeah, but these unique. guys were like nuclear scientists and physicists, and I mean, they, they weren't, they didn't fall out of a beer joint. You know what I mean? They, these were really bright people who wanted to pursue music as a career. Let's go to the phone. Trip is calling from the swamp. Hello, Trip. You're on. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, talking about the uh, musicians and everything. <clears throat> have you ever heard of the Darlings? The Darlings, I have. You're talking about the Andy Griffith show. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, some of the best pickers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but uh, anyway, about... Uh, the rock and roll would be David McCoy from Lamar, South Carolina. David McCoy and the Mudfish Jones Band. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he, he writes his own music. He's done it for years. He's about, he's way older than I am. And he's older than you, Mr. Ken. And I'm about your age. But uh, he's picked, but I'll put him up there with Molly Hatchet. Anyway, that's all I had to say. Good deal. Shout out to David McCoy and the Mudfish Jones band. Started with the darlings. I got you, my yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for calling. Appreciate high appreciate you listening. there with Molly Hatchet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Molly Hatchet at the beach, yeah. right? Yeah. That's where I saw Molly Hatchet at the beach. I think it was Molly Hatchet. I can't remember. Um, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go to the phone. Danny and Camden is next. Hello, Danny. Uh, I was just going to add a couple of or three guitars that I think is really really good. Out of the mainstream, Phil Keggy played for second tra- chapter of Acts and had his own solo act, wrote his own music. Uh, one act around here, <clears throat> don't write, he writes some of his own music, but he takes other music. D.B. Bryant out of, uh, of uh, Possum Hollow, South Carolina, I think is one of the best guitarists I've ever heard. And uh, But anyway, I would just go add a couple. It's kind of hard to pick the greatest of all times when there are so many that, for different reasons, are great on the guitar. Thank you, sir. That's right. You know, it, it's it's almost impossible to pick the greatest ever, but it's so much fun to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether and it's, it's vocalist, sure, it, it absolutely is subjective. Um, 
but but I think it's interesting to to ponder. You know, is the song more important than the player? Um, Dylan would be perceived. I mean, I, I don't know if you'd argue this or not, but Dylan would be the godfather of it all. I sent you a Dylan song Friday night when I was in the sauce, Maggie's Farm, um, and I included weirdest blankety blank ever you know and, and he kind of is <laughs> mm. but um but dylan was an accomplished guitarist i mean dylan was a very was accomplished he? oh yeah a very accomplished i never listened uh, guitarist. long enough to know that um see freehold's kind of nod his head like eh, you know, i think he was i mean he, i'm not saying dylan was the greatest guitarist ever lived i'm not saying he belongs in that conversation but he was an accomplished guitarist dave is killing me right now <laughs> he's been killing me for the last hour I want to jump through that window. Right <laughs> Come on, bring it on. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's go to the phone. Again, Someone else is there? I, I like the hits. But you're right. But but once again, there is no right answer. There is no wrong answer. There's a subjective answer. And the, and the fun is pursuing the debate. I mean, sure. that's always, um, I love tailgating. And the reason I love tailgating is we argue about everything. It, it, it could be my boys. It could be my friends. We're talking about you know Joe Montana and Tom Brady. We're talking about Brett Favre and, and John Elway. We're talking about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. We're talking about Bill Elliott and Dale Earnhardt. We're talking whatever. I mean, we just love to argue and debate, and it's it's fun. I mean, it's just a lot of fun to debate who the greatest of all time is at whatever we're talking about. Um, and I do think this. I think success is a part of being great. See, Freehold tried to dismiss success. You kind of did with Dire Straits. No, no, no. You kind of no, said. No, 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 no. In no way. So is, is success, is is commercial success a part of greatness? It's a huge part okay, of greatness. I mean, I, okay, okay. Yeah. Friend, no, no, that wasn't my point. My point was people just that don't really listen for themselves, just kind of know about a certain guitarist that are strongly saying things about this musician based on other people's They're opinions. repeating what they've heard. Absolutely, okay, yes. fair enough, fair enough. Let's go to the phone. Someone there? Steve in Florence. Hello, Steve. Yeah, I guess my favorite um, picker of all time would be uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I just liked his style, and and he had his demons, but he was a great guitar player, and I think Eric Clapton uh, publicly agreed with me. But one of the most amazing guitar players I've ever seen was on um, was Jeff Healy, who was featured on the movie Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. He truly was blind and went blind at eight years of age, and um, he could really lay it down. Anyhow, those are my picks. Thank Good deal. You. Yeah, Jeff, so, so Jeff you've got Healy free, band. You've got free holes approval on, on that. Um, here's what I will say now. I think there are – I think the line stops somewhere. I think when you talk about the greatest ever, um, let's say in guitars, let's say in football, I mean, they, you know, I could argue that Joe Montana is the greatest football player ever. You could argue Tom Brady. Somebody else could argue John Elway. You can't argue Trent Dilfer, right? I mean, we can argue that the greatest guitarist player, we can argue between Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan and some of these other, we can't argue that Miami Steve Van Zant of the Bruce Army East Street Band, I mean, he's a good guitarist, but he's been more of a commercial feature to that band, right. you can't argue he's one of the greatest guitarists ever. Well, I mean, if you argue, let me ask you a question. Is the 300th best female tennis player one of the best female tennis players in the world? The 300th? Yeah. I mean, is she one <laughs> yeah. of the best? I see what you're saying you, you know, there. Yeah. You see where I'm headed? I yeah. mean, where's that line of demarcation? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't get to decide. Well, she's, she's still you know, top yeah. of the heap in yeah. the world, the world population. I mean, the, 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 is, is the 225th best male golfer in the world one of the best golfers in the world? 
Yeah, but is he one of the best ever? No. I mean, the, the, a guy that never rose higher than 225 in the world rankings could never be argued uh, as to whether he's the greatest player ever or not. That's uh, just kind of a, um, we need a tailgate one day. All of us need to get together, have a massive tailgate, and just argue like hell <laughs> about everything under the sun. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be. You bring the booze. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I think we've discriminated against country music artists. Glenn Campbell. I mean, we said Chet Atkins, yeah, but Glenn great. Campbell was a great instrumentalist, and guitarist in particular. By the way, right there on the bumper music, Joe Walsh. Yeah, Joe Walsh. Um, when he was sober, <laughs> somebody asked Walsh. said Walsh said, "I'm playing the guitar better than I ever have." And somebody said, "Well, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Just uh, you you recommitted yourself?" He said, "No, I'm not drinking, man. I mean, I'm, I'm sober <laughs> now. I'm a lot better at it when I'm sober than I was when I was a um." A drunk. Let's go to the phone real quick, and then we've got a special guest here. Rick in Florence, you want to chime in? Yeah, I had two names. Uh, Stole My Thunder with Joe Walsh, but the other one is um, Nils Lofgren, who's been playing with Neil Young since he started. I don't care much for him, but uh, Nils Lofgren's a great guitarist. Yeah, Nils Lofgren was in Neil Young's band, and now he's in the E Street band, and we've got him yep. on probation. I mean, yeah. he's, he's on. Um, I mean, he's caught up in the Springsteen dilemma. The um the yeah. dynamic process. It's, it's not his fault. But Niels is a great, great guitarist, no question about it. Bruce regards Niels as one of the uh, one of the great, great guitarists in the world today. And that's the guy that played really beside is. Steve Van Zandt. Thank you, appreciate the call, Rick. Um yeah, some of these unsung guys that you don't hear much about are really good. I would imagine there's a handful of studio musicians, you know, who've not made their way in, in the rock and roll stardom or country music stardom isn't that kind of where glenn campbell got his start i mean where he'd made a name for himself um in the studio being such an accomplished uh musician hey um we've talked a lot about these organizations that are grassroots trying to uh involve themselves in this political movement that is afoot uh one that i paid particular attention to is moms for liberty um when i hosted or moderated the debate between the two republican candidates for primary it was almost like the teachers versus the moms for liberty. In this corner, you got the teachers. In the other corner, you had the moms for liberty. Um, and with us this morning is Angela Cooper. Um, she is a listener to our show. I think you've called in a couple of times, if I'm not Many mistaken. Times. But you've taken the next step, and you're now a political activist. I am. So how does that feel to be a political activist, and why would you encourage others to do the same? It's scary, but it's rewarding. Okay. Um, I heard you speak not long ago about the book um, In But Not Of, mm-hmm. and I started reading it mm-hmm. immediately, and I it, it makes sense. Um, and so my family and I, of course, spent Sunday afternoon after church every day, every Sunday, sitting around talking politics and talking about the world. And, you know, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. Well, somebody else needs to do something. Right. Historically, that's what we've said. Right. So, you know, nobody's doing anything. So we've got to do something collectively. And so that just encouraged me to step up and get involved. Okay. Has it been rewarding? Yes. Do you like it? Very much so. I, do, I love it. Do you accept the frustration? You want everything now, but politics is a slow moving machine. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's rough okay what it's very stressful but it is rewarding moms for liberty appears to be self-explaining but but i mean is it all about moms what what is moms for liberty i mean if i asked you their mission statement right it would be what our mission statement is 
to organize, educate, and empower parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. So we are a 501c4 nonprofit organization. Um, We were created two years ago. It launched two years ago by two moms in Florida that were on the school board um, in their local school board, and they saw what was going on um, within the school boards, and then COVID hit, and they saw even more, and so they launched this um, because of the indoctrination that was being seen. Um, Right now, we have over 200 chapters in 37 states. Um, South Carolina has 13 chapters with over 3,500 members. Uh, Each, you know, county has a chapter. Um, Right now we're 13 and we're steady growing. Um, So Florence County launched three months ago and we have 21 members currently. Um, We meet every fourth Monday at 7 p.m. right now at Western Sizzlin. Um, So you know, we can eat and fellowship and, and do that. Um, but right now, we're lo- we are locally working on school districts. We're working very closely with the school boards at Florence District 1 and Florence District 3. Um, as we grow, then we will add Florence Districts 2 and 5. We just don't have the manpower to do that right now because the other two are so large and... <laughs> and and everything. So we are. We have built relationships with them. I've met with both super, superintendents. Actually, I've met with all four superintendents. But um, our mission locally is to build those relationships. Like you said at the debate, it was like teachers versus moms for liberty. But that's not what we want. We want to. We are also here to help the teachers because there are a lot of teachers that are against all the things that they are being, quote-unquote, forced to to teach. And so we are here to build those relationships between the parents and the educators. Back when I was growing up, it was, um, it was to where the parents trusted the educators and the educators trusted the parents to do what needed to be done at home. And that has since been broken. So we've got to build that back. We we really have to build that communication, that relationship. We've got to bring the community back into it. We've got to bring churches back into it um, and really look at the children are our future. Sure. And if we're not teaching them the right things or we're not protecting them, then what does our future really look like? Okay, you got 21 members today. You'd love to have 121 or 221. You've got a pretty good audience here right now. If someone wants to find out more, uh, maybe they're not ready to sign the dotted line yet, but they want to explore what you guys are up to, how can they find out more? Yes, you can go to momsforliberty.org, find a chapter, and find your county. So if you click on Florence County, it will bring my picture up, all my contact information and everything. Um, contact me. Uh, I know we have one in Sumter County. We're hopefully working on one in Orangeburg County. Cause I know that's where mm-hmm. y'all are. Um, also, there's a link for donations. We need money, of course. Sure. Um, so if you want to give a little bit of money, that would be absolutely awesome. But, yeah, if, if you want to get involved, you want to ask more questions, um, 
please, by all means, reach out. Okay. Well, I wish you well. Thank you And I mean so that much. sincerely. We'll get you back on here from time to time to talk yes. about some of these school issues. Not trying to be destructive, but trying to be constructive. A lot of people perceive activism as destruction. Oh, it can be very constructive in making things much better. Thank you, Angela. Thank you and so good luck. much. We'll, we'll take a break. We'll be back. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe we won't in just a few moments.